JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. Zero. Unmotivated, uninspired, just a big, lifeless first half lump is what you got on Monday Night Football for your business yesterday. Been waiting for seven years. Seven years, and they come out not ready for prime time. Not even close. That whole first half was some of the worst football that I've seen in a long time. I'm going to get to that in a second. All right, there's also some inspiration because i got to give a shout-out. I got to give a shout out to the Pacers last night. You can tell, you know, you can tell those. And I consider myself one of those because I don't require a great deal of sleep. And I'm proud of that. I'm like, I'm just like Sam Elliott. I'm like Wade Garrett in Roadhouse. I don't really need to sleep. I'll get enough sleep when I'm dead, which may be later on tonight. But I'll get enough sleep when I'm dead. So last night I got about two and a half hours of sleep because I stayed up and I hung with it. They got down 19. They were down 17 in the fourth. And some inspiration, some morale-building local sports, professionally speaking, for you last night. Thanks to the Indiana Pacers. Thanks to Andrew Nemhard, the rookie from Gonzaga. Sticking that three. I'm going to go ahead and break that down for you in a second. The, the final play to me, the final play was incredible. And you got to shout out to Anthony Davis for missing a free throw. Shout out Anthony Davis. Um, I, it was weird. The Lakers took a foul over there, and Schroeder kind of threw a fit on the sideline. But let me tell you a little bit of something before I get to the Colts. And I'm going to set this up and double back to it. But Nimhart making that shot is incredible, and I loved it, and that was the difference in the game, obviously. That is the obvious. But what wasn't the obvious, and especially to the box score readers out there that have zero idea what the hell they're talking about when they mention last night's game, because there's no way in hell they stayed up to watch it. Okay, I understand. you got to get your eight hours. That's why I'm here. I'm here to break it down fully for you. Not just half-assing it out of a box score. Best part about that, Tyrese Halliburton. The play that he made was incredible. The pass that he made when Nimhard got that shot off, point four, and the decision that he made, the decision not to throw it in the corner. It's funny. He explained after in an interview with J.J. about all that was going through his mind during that five-second moment. I mean, five seconds or less that he had that ball after Miles took that three. And by the way, <laughs> by the way, Miles took that three and missed it. He was wide open. Here's, here's what I was thinking at the moment. I was thinking at the moment, please, oh, please, don't let 33 miss not one, 
but two game winners down the stretch here. I say, yeah, yeah, all right, you don't need to go back to 33 here. Find somebody else. But no, it was the moment. It was calm when everything else was chaotic. Looking in the corner, seeing Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald, obviously a knockdown three-point shooter. That's probably at that moment who you want to go with. And he had some space, but Anthony Davis was going to close out. And he thought about that in his mind. Here comes Anthony Davis. He's going to close out. Then he turned. He turned and evaluated where LeBron James was kind of sunk down into the lane. And he thought, well, you know what? The rookie's going to have an opportunity to get this thing off. So he throws it over there on a dime with his left hand, just to, right the shooting pocket ready to go. Nimhart's got that thing ready. And Bonanza, there's your three. There's your win. That, to me, was absolutely incredible. Incredible. I know it's a game in November. It's in the NBA. I completely understand. But you guys needed that morale boost. You needed that local sports morale boost, and that was incredible. And that was far beyond what you're going to get from a box score reader or what I read on social media about what happened. No, Nimhard knocked it down, and that was money. But to get him to that situation, I was amazed with Tyrese Halliburton. Just absolutely amazed. 99.9% of people out there in that situation would have just crapped right down their leg. And I wouldn't blame them. I made a play. It was amazing. That was the most amazing part of that. And, again, that's with clearly all due respect to Andrew Nimhard for knocking that down. The celebration was fantastic. The call, both sides, Chris and Quinn on Valley Sports Indiana. Mark had the call on our station last night. Absolutely fantastic. The Laker call was pretty good. I saw it on the Pacers social media site from 19 different angles. And you know what? From every angle, it went down. That's what everybody needed last night. You probably didn't know that you needed it, and most of you probably bailed. Understand, you got to get up and work early in the morning. But damn, that felt good. That felt good, and that's what you needed, a little morale boost. Why? Because early in the night, you've heard all the cries. You've heard all the whines. This market deserves a prime timer, a Monday nighter. Not for seven years have they had one here. And even in a bad season, even in a season we're going in, you were 4-6-1 and one, and hugely disappointing, one of the more disappointing teams certainly in the NFL to this point. And then you come out and you look like that in the first half. Where's the excuse? Where, where, how in the world is there even close to an excuse? Looking like that in the first half. And I know that we're going to be drawn to coming out in the third quarter. And, you know, what they, they played one good quarter last night, and that's it. One good quarter. And you know what? They're making mistakes that you make in the preseason. What in the hell's happening there? They've changed coaches. They've got an interim head coach who struggled in the moment last night himself. Needed a bit of an infusion of Tyrese Halliburton himself last night. Listen, I understand that he could have had 90 timeouts, and it probably wouldn't have mattered. I don't know if you let that clock tick, 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 tick like that. And even beyond it, the way that that team looked completely and utterly discombobulated, I think any coach in the world I don't care what sport you're talking about. If you see that level of discombobulation, and you know the history of this team this year, it's not like that you feel good in those situations about this group, is it? 
really feel good about it. So even on an interim basis where you haven't been around this squad for the better part of a couple of weeks and a half here, why would you say, you know, we're just going to go ahead, you know, play in the moment. And I know that Jeff Saturday came back today. I know that Jeff Saturday came back today and said that he wished on that third down he would have called the timeout. And, yeah, so would have everybody else. And that's a major part of the issue right there. It's kind of like last week. Remember last week when I think it was DeForest Buckner brought this up at the half? Or check that, after the game, after that loss to the Eagles? No, after that run, that quarterback draw with, by the way, Kenny Pickett ran that thing three times last night. I love it. I love the advanced scouting. You watch what Jalen Hurts did, and you know what? The defense against this is so bad, we believe that we can go ahead and do it not once, not twice, but three times last night. That was quite hilarious. It was hilarious. But, no, you get back to that moment, and it was complete and utter discombobulation. And at that moment, something that needed to be done. And this team is simply not good enough. This team is not efficient enough for you to believe that they can work themselves out of it. Really out of anything, much less that. So that is where I found the complete error in judgment with that. Wasn't so much about the time or saving clock. I didn't have, I didn't have any thoughts whatsoever that they were going to score. They were going to tie that thing up because their offense is not nearly good enough. And that's the problem, whether you're talking about the offensive line or the quarterback or the wide receivers or everybody. That's exactly what we're talking about right there. They're not good enough. But in that moment, when you're coaching that thing up, that's something you absolutely have to see. And he did not see it. Now, the other thing that needs to be seen as well, and this is something else that I alluded to on Twitter last night, and it doesn't matter. You want to know why? Because, again, I had zero. I had zero thought that they would be able to do anything with it. But that final throw on fourth down, that was pass interference against Paris Campbell like crazy. And if you're trying to look for an explanation from the rules expert last night in John Perry... John Perry gave you the Gary Busey type of description of what Joe Buck and Troy Aikman were trying to ask him from the booth. I go, what in the world are you talking about? John Perry's blah, 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 blah. I mean, all you have to do is say, okay, the defender got there and wasn't looking at the ball before the ball got there. Hence, defensive pass interference. That's all you got to say. It didn't cost them the game. They probably wouldn't have scored anyway. That doesn't make it any less true because it was defensive pass interference on that final play. But that's what happens when you get a bad team. That's what happens when you're disgusted with a team. And you know what? You're just ready. If you're not already in bed, you're ready for bed, and you're just ready for that to be over. You don't have much more fight in you. And frankly, you would have had at that moment probably more fight than this team did coming out of the locker room to start that game, a game that this organization from the top, starting with the owner, had been looking forward to forever. They have been politicking about They've been shaking their fist. We got to, We deserve this. We're getting screwed. And then you come out there on Monday Night Football at a standalone. You finally got it, and you give them that first half. Come on. Come on. And you can't blame it on Frank Reich. You can't blame it on Marcus Brady. You can't blame it on Carson Wentz. That is this organization from top to bottom. And that's why you look at this team right now. They're 4-7-1. And everybody always talks about, hey, are they tanking if you're keeping Matt Ryan in there? I don't know if you're tanking. They're just not good enough. 
they may end up putting themselves in the running now. They may be able to get in those upper echelon of picks. Who knows? I mean, you get close, and maybe you got a pick of your own. You're going to try to try to trade to get up there because they are that bad. They are that bad right now. They are legitimately bad. When you look at the remaining part of their schedule, they may get lucky at home against a really bad Houston team that's trying to do the same thing. But this is not all about tanking. They're not trying to tank. That's just how bad they are. That's how mismanaged they are. That's how flawed they are and how they've been built and how they've been put together from top to bottom. And in a world, in a world in the NFL where most of the time you're able after a bad season to kind of recollect, reboot, do some things different, and then your schedule will coincide, give you an opportunity as well, and you can be good. I, this team, to me, continues to get further and further away from what its owner has talked about regarding expectations. Further and further away. It seems like every single week, those things, those cornerstones, those foundations that have been put together for this team crumble. And at the very least, if they don't crumble all the time, they're a moment from crumbling. They're a moment from failing. This is something that's not substantial, and this is not just going to be a year turnaround. This is something where you have to, and they say it all the time, coaches can be such BS. I mean, such BS. And you've got to try to look through it. That's why when some coaches talk, I go, yeah, well, whatever. Like Matt Painter talks, I go, you know what? Matt Painter's a legitimate dude. I'll listen to Matt Painter as a coach talk all day. There are other coaches, both uh, current and former, I go, I don't want to listen to you for five minutes because you know you're just getting BS'd. But they always talk about top to bottom. We're going to evaluate our team top to bottom. This is legitimate. And don't let, if they sneak up on somebody here, let's say they sneak up on the Chargers. I'm not suggesting they're going to. But if you sneak up on somebody, don't let that moment override what needs to be done here. And a complete 100% reevaluation of everything that has to happen. To me, this is just not something where you're going to be able to bits and piece this thing back together anytime soon. It is that bad. It is that bad. You give me a couple of things last night that you feel good about. I'll give you a great example. I'm with you. You know, one of the guys, and I know he was a part of that first half debacle with that drop, but Jelani Wood stepped up in the second half. I expect a great deal from Jelani Woods in the future. I mean, a great deal. But it's few and far between. And even when you talk about a guy like that or, you know, others, you're talking about some of these guys defensively, they're just a player a moment from kind of letting you down and then working you into a reason to question them. That's just where this team is right now. So don't let any level of success from here on out cloud your vision of what needs to be done. It's a complete and utter reevaluation. I'm not saying that everything is bad on this ship like Apollo 13, but there's a lot more bad than there is good. There has been misevaluation. There has been bad coaching. And there has been a heap of expectations on this fan base here that not have just been narrowly missed or sideswiped, 
Not even close. So don't let that fool you. Don't let that fool them. I don't think a lot of you are fooled with me here, but don't let, don't let them be fooled by this. This is not something you go, oh, this is just a bad moment. Oh, you know, it was just a quarterback. Yeah, the quarterback goes rogue, and he didn't get vaccinated, and I don't like him. <laughs> it's not that. This is deeper than that. I'll tell you another thing, too. I didn't, we'll see where we are with Jeff Saturday. I am under the impression that Jeff Saturday is going to have some sort of gig here. But I am not under the impression that he's going to be the head coach. Now, I will tell you, I believe, and I believe this fully, that Jim Irsay wants Jeff Saturday to take the reins. He wants to leave no doubt with this group. I, I just don't see there being no doubt. This team does the same crap that it did with Frank Reich. This team has the same shortcomings as it did with Frank Reich. So the remainder of the season is to show a little bit more. And this is not all by what took place at the end of the game with the timeouts. Yeah, I'm a realist about that. I mean, it was flawed. You know, I think Bob Kravitz described it as amateur hour. It was. I mean, the guy guy got confused in the moment. But it's going to be more than that. Be more than that. You've got to answer the question. And I don't know why... Maybe it was asked last night. I don't know why it hadn't been made about how they came out and how they played a first half. It's funny. The more fired up and the more things seem to be important for the owner, the less that his team comes through in that vein. The less that his team comes through for him. He's saying this and saying that, and here's my expectations, and here's what they're going to do. When is the last time this team came through? And granted, he's been in the wrong in a lot of this, too. I was on Tony Katz this morning, and Tony Katz had asked me because, you know, obviously uh, Chris Ballard, no way in the world, to me, uh, his fingerprints are on where they go in the future. I'm not suggesting that they're not going to be, but I've seen enough. I think a lot of you have seen enough as well. But at the same time, you know, Jim's been right in there, and he's got his nose in it. He's at some point got to get his nose out of it. But you have to have a complete and utter reevaluation. You watch this team, regardless of who's the coach, regardless of who's calling the plays or the offensive coordinator, they, they don't back up the words from their owner. That's just, I, I, how do you explain it? I guess you can explain it away like this. They're just not talented enough, and the owner just does not have at all a realistic vision of what this team actually is, which is also very scary. Because what you saw last night, what you saw in that first half, what you saw in you know the inspiration, for example, you got in the third quarter, and then the ultimate letdown, that's who this team is. Not because of an injury here or there. I mean, all this stuff that we've talked about that have been negatives is absolutely true. And Matt Ryan's a disaster. My, Matt, Ryan, Matt Ryan looks like he's 108 years old. 108. I mean, and it affects what's he been in the NFL for 14 years. He's going to go into the Hall of Fame. And my man is, he's another player that needs the decision-making power of Tyrese Halliburton. 
My man looks like he's been in the NFL starting for 14 minutes, not 14 years. Some of the decisions, and it's clear that his arm isn't there, and his arm's not there. The, the protection isn't there. Nobody's getting separation down the field but their left tackle. That's about it. Their left tackle gets really good separation down the field. Unfortunately, when your left tackle does that, that's a flag. That may be the only thing that Bernard Ryman has done well besides just be a rookie and get excused for that. Now, he was thrown into this. Now, he didn't get any help. Nobody helps him out. But this team's a mess. This team's an absolute mess. And I know I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. But this requires, and I mean a deep evaluation, not just something where you go, oh, you know, they won this game, and hey, look what they did here. They're not as bad as what we thought. Yeah, they're as bad as what we thought. And they absolutely proved that last night. All right, I got time for your calls at 239-1070. Actually, all day for your calls. I'm at the Ale Emporium. We are on the second half of play. This is a winner-go-home situation for the Americans. USA won Iran nothing. 59th approaching, approaching, I should say, the 60th minute. It was Christian Pulisic, the superstar for the Americans, with their lone goal. That was back in the first half. And I think he scored a goal and then got hit right there in the sack. So he got hit in the bag, ball tapped, and he came back out. But he scored the goal, and the Americans are up. And I know that a lot of people, and this is packed inside the Ale Emporium watching this right now. We're here with the Indy 11. But I think a lot of people would breathe easier if they would punch another one in because it is win. It is not draw, and it's definitely not lose. You do either one of those, and you're going to hit the jet plane and come back to America very sad and disappointed. One zero right now, 60th minute. We're here with the Indy 11 at the Ale Emporium. I'm in Geist, actually in Fishers, right across the street where I was yesterday. And this is outstanding. Great group, great crowd here. And uh, I, I, I kind of sound like, I don't think I'm trying to be quiet, but obviously you can hear in the background. It's kind of like last night. If you were listening to Matt Taylor last night on the radio, you couldn't tell you, you couldn't tell that, the, like, there was a couple of times where I heard these loud cheers, and I thought, oh, hey, there, the Colts did something. It was the Steelers. <laughs> and I know, I know that they travel well, but holy crap. 30% of the building last night, it sounded more like it was 95% of the building last night. That's just embarrassing. I know it's the Steelers. I know they travel well, and, and I get they, their pea yellow towels that they're waving, and that's fantastic, but that doesn't make it any less embarrassing for a team where everybody was told of the expectations and they have not been close. Not at all in any sense backed up what their owner had said that they would do. And at this time, they're not even close. So we can hit that at 239-1070. I want to double back to the Pacers last night too. That moment, that moment, and really hanging around and getting there even before that three was made by Andrew Nemhart. Impressive enough, but they gave you a little indie positive sports morale last night, which I think absolutely everybody needed. All right, 239-1070. I don't know who's all going to join us. I haven't checked in with Kyle. Kyle, you want to update me on that really quick here? Yeah, we got Chris Denary from, he was I happy assume, last night. Los Angeles still. 
He's coming on here next. And then we got Ben Brown. Greg Rigstraw is joining you live. Hopefully, Oh, after Ben this. Brown. I forget about Ben Brown. This is a Tuesday for Ben Brown. I forget about that. Yeah, yeah. That Monday night game kind of throws everything off. Yeah. And you were expecting. I know it's a bad team, but you were still expecting a lot more. That, that first half was a joke. That first half of play, the way they came out and the way they played that first half was a joke. It's easy to say, hey, you deserve better or whatever. I don't know what you deserve, but I do know this. You don't deserve that. Troy Aikman you don't was deserve pulling, that at all. He was pulling no punches on the broadcast. It was no. And if he was you were right Ursay watching that, you would be embarrassed with the product you were putting on the field on national television. Yeah, I watched. I watched some of it too, and I, I got what what Troy Aikman was saying, and he was he was absolutely right about the offense. He, he didn't understand the offense. He didn't understand where Matt Ryan was trying to throw it. You know, there were moments where I thought, well, at least he's throwing it, not taking a sack. Does he at all look like a 14-year vet future Hall of Famer? He's looked like he's played in the NFL about five minutes. Giving up the football. Botched handoffs. What is this, week 12? Who in the hell has a botched handoff in week 12? The Colts. That's where they are. All right, quick break, and we shall return. All right, 239-1070. Jump on here. Also, inside the lounge via YouTube Live, I'm waving you guys right now. I'll get some of your input coming up here a little bit later on as well. The stream, the app, and we are trying to to get the Iranians out of the box. That sounded really bad right there. I hope that's soccer. Is that a good soccer term I just used? Can I say trying to get the Iranians out of the box without getting in trouble with the FCC? Kyle, is that okay? I don't want everybody giggling. I'm just trying to use solid soccer terms here. Uh, the Americans need another goal. 64th minute they're playing right now. 1-0 over the Iranians. And this is a win. And I mean win. No draw. Certainly no loss. Win or go home for the Americans. World Cup 2022. Quick break, and we'll come back. Again, 239-1070. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live, the stream, the app, HD radio, and all the road in Geist at the Ale Emporium with our friends from the Indy 11. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. You just got your asses whipped by a bunch of damn nerds. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Miles Turner, three. Gamer, Gamer. Oh, Miles. rebound. Halliburton. Oh, no, he held on it too long. Nemhard away. Got yeah, it, baby. Got it. The rookie out of Gonzaga <laughs> yeah. hits the three at the buzzer to win the game. Baby. With a rubbit. Valley Sports, Indiana. That's Denary. That's Buckner on the call last night. If you missed it, late night hoopage gave you a morale boost to positivity here in central Indiana. Uh, the Pacers come from behind, 17 down in the fourth. And then with that Andrew Nemhart shot, that three at the buzzer, or at the horn, if you will, it's the NBA, 
They get the win. And I'm going to jump back to the Colts in a minute, Monday Night Football. We all want to complain. But I do want to start out with a little positivity. And last night was amazing. And on board from Valley Sports Indiana, he's the voice of the Pacers, Chris Denary. And I mentioned this. I'm taking zero away from Andrew Nemhard. What Andrew Nimhard did in that moment as a rookie was amazing. But that was one of the more amazing under duress, under pressure, with the clock ticking, one of the more amazing plays from Tyrese Halliburton that you are going to see. And I think in large part, because we're dealing with a game winner, that went unnoticed, but not by me. It was incredible. No, it was. And, I mean, he's a guy, uh, JMV, that in the last three games, he's had 40 assists and no turnovers. Nobody has done that in the history of the NBA. Nobody. And the way he controls the game, the way he doesn't panic, um, you know, it's just, he's just a special player. I mean, LeBron James said that after the game, the guy is special. And uh, his ability to not rush um, and, you know, maybe make a bad pass, it gets tipped, or, or even maybe he tries to take a shot that is more covered than what he saw over with Andrew Nemhart. But, um, you know, there was just a lot of guys that, that stood out, John. I mean, for those that stayed up and watched, you know, it's amazing how many people texted me and said they went to bed and they woke up and they were shocked. Yeah. Um, but, you know, T.J. McConnell was terrific at the start of the fourth quarter. Neesmith hit some shots. Uh, you know, Miles, I thought, rebounded the ball well and did a good job against Anthony Davis. He only got two shots in the fourth quarter. So, you can go up and down the line. There were plenty of guys that, you know, played a big role in the win. But uh, Tyrese Halliburton is special, and it's, uh, it's a good thing that the Pacers have him. I, I just – he explained it to J.J. after the game in, in terms of what, what took him about three minutes to explain what was going through his head in the final less than five seconds was amazing to me. All that he had to consume – and all that he had to calibrate. You know, you're looking in the corner at, at a guy that you would want taking that shot in Buddy Heald, but knowing that Anthony Davis was there to really close him out, and then with a left hand throwing that dime to Nemhart because he saw LeBron James kind of leak back into the, the, the lane area a little bit and would have a much more difficult time to close it out. All that stuff you compute within five seconds or less, that, that just made the play to me more amazing. Yeah, think about it for uh, Andrew Nemhart. He had missed the last four games with an injury. He mi- he did not play in the season opener. So he's played 15 of the first 20 games. And his first uh, game-winning shot at the horn is against the guy that's going to become the all-time leading NBA scorer probably sometime in late January, early February. And, uh, you know, to have the confidence to take that shot. You know, David West told me this many, many years ago, John. It's not – it's not – having to deal with making the shot it's can you deal with missing the shot and I think that's yeah. what all good and great players do is they they know that they're going to have to answer hopefully if the ball goes in but if it doesn't you've got to answer that as well and you know he's only 22 years old I, I think the Pacers I think Pacers fans know you know you watch Gonzaga for years uh, the Pacers got a steal at the start yeah. of the second round no question about that I, I honestly, Chris, I thought it was going to take him some time. I'd watched him so much. I thought maybe that he would start struggling. And it would take a while for him to get used to the consistent NBA-level athletic ability at the guard. But, man, we've talked about this before. He just he fits right in. Like I mean, he is just acclimated quicker and feels as comfortable as anybody out there on the floor for a guy that's been playing at that level for the better part of a month and a half. And John has been pretty consistent that the two rookies, Matherin and Nemhard, are both out on the floor in co- uh, closing situations. I mean, I looked out there, 
And, you know, Westbrook probably played one of the best games of the year for the Lakers. LeBron had 21, Anthony Davis. They had three guys with 20. I think you add up their all-star appearances, they've got 35-plus. And yet you're closing the game with two rookies that are are just now playing the first quarter of their NBA season. And, you know, I I think the biggest thing, we have seen this now from Benedict Matherin twice. He's had two single-digit games, and each time he responds in a big way. He had eight against New Orleans and then came back with 30 against Denver. Uh, He had nine the day before against the Clippers and really struggled, and he goes for 23 yesterday. So clearly he's a guy that can make adjustments on the fly. He can make adjustments from – a game-to-game uh, situation, and, uh, you know, he – I mean, right now, he's the rookie of the year and the sixth man. There's no question about that. Again, we have three-quarters of the season to go, but there's there's nobody in the league that is doing what he's doing. You know, Bancaro's off to a great start, but he's missed a significant amount of games, and I think I've always been – when I had a chance to vote, um, I always – you know, if it was even, I looked at the team's records, and clearly right now with a 12-8 and record, uh, Indiana has a much better record than Orlando does. Yeah, I, I completely agree on that, too. And Kristen Airy, the voice of the Pacers, Valley Sports Indiana. Next up, I believe, Sacramento. Uh, but first things first, we'll double back to what was that morale boost for everybody around here if you stayed up to watch it last night. And let's give credit where credit is due. I, I love Matherin because he, he, beyond just being talented, he, he doesn't give a blank. You know, now he's a dude, like in football terms, which we'll talk about, about the Colts, He's like a defensive back where, all right, one play, something may happen, doesn't go your way, but he's going to be prepared for the next play. He is always prepared for the next play on both ends of the floor. And he had that huge tip, that miles three that missed. I mean, credit Matherin for tipping that out. That went to Halliburton, and then Halliburton worked his magic, got it to, to Nimhard. But I will say this. I, I was at home, and while I was watching this, I said, please don't throw it. And I'm a supporter of miles, and you know this. Please don't throw it to Miles. I don't think my Twitter account can handle if 33 misses two game-winning threes there in those final moments. Please don't do it. So I'm just glad yeah, that it went someplace else. Yeah, but, but I'm glad that Miles, you know, he had the, the four to two. Oh, he stepped into shot. it. Yeah. I, I, I will say he, this, Chris, full disclosure, watching Miles make threes, for example, like last Wednesday against Minnesota, when he's confident and stroking it, that wasn't a confident stroke. I mean, he was kind of no. falling away a little bit. It fell short to the right of the rim. That was not a confident stroke. And then when you got it to Nemhart, it was right in the shooter's pocket. He stepped into it. That was, and not just because it goes in, but you can just tell somebody shoot it confidently and somebody that wasn't. Nemhart did in that moment. You kind of tell Miles really didn't get that type of look. It was almost like he was surprised he was that wide open at that moment. Yeah, and then, you know, then Anthony Davis is sort of flying there at the end. And, sure. that, you know, it's a seven-footer coming after you. But you know, the, the one thing that I, I think was so good about what happened last night in the fourth quarter is they were in the same position on Sunday afternoon, right? They got down by 19 or 20 and just could right. never get back in the game. And then yesterday, one of the biggest plays of the game, there are two big plays that I, I heard you earlier talking about stat sheets and, you know, people just look at stat sheets and they don't understand yep. the – full complexity of the game um, the steal by TJ McConnell uh, that the Pacers went the other way and scored and then the second effort on the offensive rebound at the end of the third quarter by Matherin I mean all of a sudden it's a nine-point game going to the fourth uh, yep. even though the lead got to 17 I, I just thought that they had some momentum it quickly slipped away but to your point back to Matherin remember in the fourth quarter I think he came down in transition and they want him to take the shot he missed two 
But, you know, he came down yeah. the third time, and he took it again and buried it. So yeah. it's yeah. just something that he, he doesn't worry about missing shots. He knows, he knows he's a good three-point shooter, and uh, he's better off taking them than passing them up. Yeah, and you go back to that McConnell play. He, he split two Lakers to, ju- to, to uh, you know, sprawl out on the ground to get that ball, too, on that steal, on that takeaway. I mean, he split there are two Lakers that stood straight up. And the other thing that I was inspired by, and I'm sure a lot of Pacer fans, if you were up watching it last night, was the moment when Russell Westbrook was having a good one and he was feeling himself. And I think he dropped a dime. It may have been to Davis, I can't remember, for a dunk. And then Austin Reeves gave him the, you know, the binoculars, you know, for the great look. And then he did the binoculars thing. And you just kind of sat there and hoped that they'd get a little bit of karma come back at him. And that's the Pacers hung in there and gave them dancing around and doing this whole Russell Westbrook thing because he was feeling good. A little bit of karma the Pacer fans wanted to see last night. Yeah, and because, you know, people will look at, you know, the Lakers and they started 0-5 and 2-10. and 10. This right now is the best the Lakers have played. They've won it is. straight, five of six. Uh, they've got pretty much everybody healthy. Uh, Patrick Beverly did not play because he was serving the third game of a three-game suspension. But when they have James and Westbrook and Davis all together, I mean, that's a handful. So you have to look at that as really a really good win. I, I know they're under 500. I think they're 7-12. and 12. I don't think their talent um, showcases that. Uh, but, uh, you know, just a, just a terrific win. And you could see the joy uh, with that group. I mean, they don't care who makes the shot. Uh, they just know they want to win, and uh, that was a huge way uh, to play a game two of this road trip. Uh, yes, especially it was a, the second of a back-to-back. And I, it almost looked like against the Clippers on Saturday afternoon that they just kind of got off the plane and took a bus ride and went out there to play. I mean, they didn't have much resistance whatsoever when they got down. And you could kind of tell – um, and, I, and I know that I think it was J.J. that said that after the game. When they got down, I think maybe it was 17 or so, maybe it was less than that, Buddy Heald kind of stepped in and said, hey, listen, we don't want this to turn into what happened yesterday. And then at that point in time, they kind of lifted one another up. So yeah, that's I the way say, it felt you know, at least. The one thing, I mean, just from a TV standpoint, I mean, Ken Softman had to be over at Crypto.com Arena at 530 in the morning uh, for a 1 o'clock start here. So – no excuses. I mean, you've got to deal with that in the NBA, but it's the first time that the Pacers had played anything uh, before 7 o'clock this year. So uh, I just thought, you know, it was a two-point game against the Clippers at the half. It was manageable for a while, and then the Clippers ran away. And I think one of the things the Clippers are doing, they're, they're figuring out how they can play without Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I mean, Leonard's only played five games. Uh, Paul's missed, I think, four. So that's a team that's as deep as anybody in the league with a number of former starters and NBA All-Stars, John, that come off the bench. Yeah. It's uh, Chris Denary right there. Sacramento up next, right? Yeah, Sacramento. We're in Sacramento. And, uh, wow, you know, Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald coming back here for the first time. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis in a Kings uniform. Uh, Sabonis did not play for the Kings in Indianapolis last year. Uh, So there will be a lot of national attention, I believe, on this game because both of these teams have – have played far better than anyone thought when the season started. The Pacers are 12 and eight. They're fourth in the East. Uh, Sacramento's 10 and nine, and they're a playoff team in the West. So it's going to be a very interesting game tomorrow night here in Sacramento. I was up with you last night. I thought sure I was going to get a call at about four in the morning, but it didn't come. But I was up there. I was up there with you. I should have. I got a. I got a tweet from Tucker Barnhart. I don't know if he was at the Colts game, but he 
tweeted that he, <laughs> he said, hey, he was he start? was at the Colts game. Yeah, he was he there. Was like, can the game start earlier? Um, he, he was looking for an earlier start. Yeah, so. yeah, he was at the game. I think I, I made sure that he got into bullseye, though, so I'm, I'm assuming he already had the game day experience made before that, that debacle last night over at Lucas Oil Stadium. Chris, I appreciate it. You and Quinn, shout out to Quinn also. Great call on the Nimhard make last night, the game winner. That was good stuff, man. All right, thanks, John. We'll talk to you soon. It's uh, Chris Denary, voice of the Pacers, Valley Sports, Indiana. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I wanted to start out with a little positivity because now we're going to dive into the negative. I want to get your calls at 239-1070. You agree with me? This is it. I'm telling you, if you're looking for this, is going to be like a Mickey Rourke. I hope it's better than that. A Mickey Rourke type of makeover that needs to happen here. This is not just here or there. Everything's going to have to go under the microscope on this because so much of what has been built, the staple of this team has gone foobar and it's not coming back i want to hit that with you and about last night and a team that has obviously been outspoken about not getting a monday nighter and wanting that home game nationally televised to stand alone and then you get that monday nighter and you come out that absolutely uninspired in the first half Hadn't been the coach, has it? Hadn't been the offensive coordinator, the play caller. Parks Frazier doesn't look as golden as he did a couple of weeks ago. Let's talk about that. It's time now to dive into the negativity. Team USA still up 1-0, 84th minute, approaching the 85th minute of play right now. Again, it's a win or go home. You would like to see maybe Team USA pad pad this advantage right here, but uh, 1-0 as we're into the 85th minute of the play. We're here with the Indy 11. We're at Ale Emporium. We're near Geis. 116 and Oleo Road on a Tuesday. Your calls regarding the Colts and what took place last night at Lucas Oil Stadium. It's next. 93-5107. the fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. If somebody gets in your face and calls you a I want you to be nice. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Third and long five for the Colts on their own 35-yard line. Ryan out of the gun. Deep drop. Steps in the pocket. Avoids traffic. Wide open for the Colts. Inside the 15. Down to the 10-yard line. And then tackled forward is Jelani Woods having a career day. Now it'll be first and goal for the Colts. Jelani Woods takes it down to the 7-yard line for a pass play of 28 yards. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts right there. Jelani Woods, the rookie tight end, did have a nice. He had that drop in the first half to end the half, and then the second half played really well, not nearly enough. The Colts lose. We've been talking about it. The Colts in the first half, uh, they were an embarrassment last night, no doubt about that, have a good third quarter, but then once again could not close the game. Again, I'm at Ale Emporium today, up in Fishers on Geist, or near Geist. I'm with the Indy 11. The Americans moving on. 1-0 over Iran, and I just, sometimes I don't know what's going on, and Kyle can attest to this in the background. When everybody else yells, I just kind of go, ah, myself here. (laughs) It's awesome. I loved it. But a little USA action, so they remain. And we'll talk to Greg Rakestraw about this a little bit later on. i got to thank the Indy 11 for having us here. They're giving away stuff. 
What a great time to do it. A great crowd at the Ale Emporium watching the World Cup and the Americans a 1-0 winner in a game that they had to win. No draw, certainly no loss. They are still in it. We'll talk to Greg about that. Talk to Greg about last night as well coming up in a bit. Ben Brown of PFF in a second. I've promised you guys some calls at 239-1070. And Derek is up next today. Derek, hello. JMV, hey, uh, lifelong Hoosier, lifelong Southern Indiana Hoosier. Yes, sir. And married to a Steelers fan for 32 years. Uh, So I feel like I I can talk about the Steelers. Um, Listen, I don't know if you noticed this, but in the last three minutes last night, there was a break on the field for an injury or timeout or whatever, and the Steelers nation put their hands in the air. And it was like the players, the defensive players like Watt and Hayward and all these guys were throwing their hands up in the air to encourage the crowd, which was almost two-thirds Steelers fans on the bot, you know, in the first ten rows down there. Um, and I think there's a reason for that. Uh, Steeler Nation it holds people very accountable. And um, the, the players that they have, that are their signature players like T.J. Watt, Hayward, Mika Fitzpatrick, made just enough plays last night or allowed, or, or so great that they allowed their big-name players to, or their lesser-name players to make plays. And right now the Colts, who, who we claim have these, uh, you know, a fair number of superstars, aren't making plays. They were dominated all last night. Um, and... But for the kick return that changed the dynamic of the game very briefly, should have been blown out by a team that has every bit of an offensive line issue that the Colts have, is decimated on the depth side because they are playing, they're paying their signature players big bucks. But the difference is those guys make plays. Um, I, I'm willing to give the Colts defense a break for having a game where they gave up over 20 points because they've performed generally as a, a pretty cohesive group to keep the Colts in games this year. Uh, but they got beat by a, a subpar offensive team and an offensive coordinator who, let me just tell you, if you think it's bad here, Pittsburgh media is just ruthless on Canada and on Mike Tomlin. And, but the expectation there is accountability. I'll just give you a simple analogy, and then I'll be anxious to hear your uh, comment. If you go to Dick's Sporting Goods in Pittsburgh, it is full of Steelers gear, um, um, Penguins gear, even Pirates gear, as bad as the the team is, okay? Um, If you drive in a street in Pittsburgh at this time of the year, even though they're 3-7 and or or 4-7, and I guess, every third yard in the – greater Pittsburgh area has some sort of Steelers gear or poster or flyer, you know, hanging outside their house. They're fanatical about it and they're passionate about it and they hold their people accountable. Um, the Col- the, the Steelers next year will be a good team because they have to make hard decisions. Hey, Derek, hey, so, hey, hey, Derek I'm, I'm curious. Are you suggesting that the, the Colts don't hold themselves? They, they fired their coach and their offensive coordinator. They're just—they've been—they've been—they've been ineffectively put together. They offensively yeah. can't score. They've got 
they have got the worst offense right now, as you can see, going. And we'll get to Ben Brown about that in a second. But I, I don't know what other level of I – mean, you fire your coach for the first time midseason. You fired your offensive coordinator. I mean, there's only been, what, two or three teams that have done that? I know that Matt Rule got fired in Carolina. Um, so, I, I mean, they're, they're trying – to hold, I guess, people accountable, at least the owner is, in his meddling. But at the same time, it's not going to work because they have been so flawed in being put together and in being constructed, especially offensively. That's, well, that's, where, that's, where your Steelers, that's where your Steelers have the edge because yeah. listen, you got the future. I mean, you got the future in Kenny Pickett at quarterback. you got the future at wide receiver with George Pickens. You have the now with edge rushers from what? To High Smith, you got interior defensive players. You got Fitzpatrick in the secondary. Uh, obviously, the tight end with Fryermuth for the future as well. You got a lot of those pieces. This Colts team don't have. They, they don't have a lot of these pieces right now. So that's where it's different, and that's how it's been flawed in the the construction of it. And that's where they are. Yeah, the the meddling part is the thing that a lot of Colts nation wants to embrace the owner. And I realize that the owner does a lot of good things uh, outside the public eye uh, for the community, but he's really got himself over-involved in the football team. Compare the, the number of coaches. It, and you, you have perspective on this because you saw the Colts when they came to Indianapolis and just how abysmal they were and the transitioning of, of uh, the Ursay family from Robert Ursay to Jim Ursay to Jim Ursay saying, look, I can't have my hands on this I, I, and go get Bill Polian and you have that stability. It just goes to show how easy it is to fall and fail or struggle when you make a poor decision about your the management team or the coaching structure, yeah. and it's yeah. really hard to well, climb up the ladder. The, the, you know, you look at the Steelers, three coaches in what, 50 60 years. Hey, hey, hey Derek, I got I to gotta run here. And, and here's what it all comes down to right now. And the very first time Chris Ballard, the very first time he met with the media here. And remember, at the time, they had Andrew Luck. So it's easy to say, you know, this can't be all about one dude here. You can't completely fall in about being about one dude. And while you have to construct this team and you want to have depth, you want to have playmaking ability. You want to have that security of your team construction. But at the time, they had the quarterback, so that was easy to say. But nobody could have been more inaccurate in that statement than Chris Ballard was because it is, if not all, close to all about your quarterback. And this team has just been kind of chasing its, you know what, around in circles for the past couple, three years and they, they don't have an answer. That's why I say at least Pittsburgh has an answer. Whether or not Kenny Pickett's going to be it, I'm assuming that they're going to try very hard to make sure that he is. But at least they have a vision in the future in place. Uh, the, the Colts have zero vision. So what's the hope here? The hope is that they lose as many games as possible and you know maybe try to trade up an asset to get in there to get one of these quarterbacks. What quarterback are we talking about here? You're talking about Bryce Young, Will Levis. I mean, Stroud, you're going to get up to get him. Is that a possibility? I mean, everybody's brought me. I mean, Anthony Richardson to Florida. I don't even know if he's eligible. I'm assuming that he is, but he looked terrible against Florida State. 
Caleb Williams is a guy people have brought up at USC. I don't think Caleb Williams is draft eligible yet. So this is, this is a team that it's not easy to even come up with a theory of the type of path. That's why I mentioned that it's not going to be all clarified by next year. This has been ongoing. This has been a major trip on your blank here. The flawed construction, the false sense of security, and over and over again trying to bring in something under center that you thought would work because the rest of your team played up to that level and it hasn't. There's no way, and listen, Matt Ryan looks old and decrepit and not ready at all to do anything with his team, but there's no way in the world that he thought that this group was going to look like this. Maybe he should have, but he didn't when he was told he was going to be traded here. I had people last night saying, I'd rather see Carson Wentz right now playing than I would Matt Ryan. I would rather see anything that I saw in that first half, and that's the thing that stands out to me. You know, all these words, all these promises – you know, all, all this bravado about the expectations of this team, and for the first time in seven years, after so outspoken you have been regarding getting yourself a Monday nighter or getting yourself a primetime standalone, and that's the product you come out of the locker room onto the field and present to a nationally televised audience, to your home fans, 35% of which was there for the opposing team. That's what you do. And we've been through this. I mean, we saw what happened with Frank Reich. It's Frank Reich's fault. But that was Jeff Saturday. Quick break. Check that. I'm sorry. I'm not going to a break. Ben Brown of PFF is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Ben, I'm sorry to keep you on hold for so long. He's our data scientist. Um, I am uh, going over the shortcomings of what was a first-half embarrassment last night and yet another loss for the home team here. Yeah, there's. I mean, I understand the frustration. I can say that much because it was uh, maybe one of the worst first quarter performances from an offense I think we've seen all year. I was going to maybe look up a stat for that. But after that game, the Colts rank as the third worst offensive unit from an EPA perspective. The two teams below them, the Rams and Texans, uh, the two teams above them, the Panthers and Broncos. So, not necessarily the company that you want to uh, be keeping at this point in time. And I think it speaks to, uh, you know, overall and overall lack of direction for the entire organization, I would say. Yeah. And no question about that. And no question about that. And then like you talk about the lack of direction right now. I, I, I don't know where I was thinking about it last night, where they're going to come up with the answers. And I, I guess one of the things I did think about knowing you were coming on is where they are right now offensively and how bad that you mentioned the first quarter. I mentioned the entire first half for a team that had been begging for that spotlight for so long to come out there and look like that. That's just embarrassing. Right. Yeah. It was, it was, it was so bad. Right. I mean, so they had, they had five offensive plays in the first quarter minus 1.6 EPA per play. That was, that's the worst first quarter ranking for any team uh, so far this season. So it was, you know, every every bit as bad as expected and then a whole lot worse than that. So I think, you know, in saying that that was the worst first quarter offense performance of any team, you know, in the National Football League this year, uh, I think that kind of frames, you know, where they were at last night. And unfortunately, uh, it, it did happen on primetime. And I think that's where, uh, you know, you absolutely need to start. Cause this is, you know, kind of something else that we talked about, you know, in the shift from going from, you know, firing Frank Reich to Jeff Saturday was, you know, Frank Reich was pretty good 
unscripted offensive plays throughout his entire tenure for the Indianapolis Colts. They were number one from an EPA perspective last year. They were at least, you know, close to league average this year. Uh, and that's the part that, you know, very much dropped off, uh, you know, the proverbial cliff yesterday. And, and when they don't have that, you know, they're not even close to, I would say, a league average football team, unfortunately. How'd their numbers look? Uh, again, Ben Brown at PFF. Offensively, you mentioned how bad it was in the second half. I guess if we're going to look at something, I mean, the third quarter they played well, but it was one quarter out of four. How'd they look all the way around in the third quarter? And then how did they come out offensively speaking overall game-wise on Monday Night Football last night? Yeah, I mean, they de- they definitely responded in the second half. And I think, you know, you finally saw some shot plays, I would say, specifically to Michael Pittman. I do think, you know, the the the, the hope that they were going to create more yards after the catch for what is, I would say, a pretty poor Steelers secondary unit really didn't come to fruition. I think, you know, overall, like Alec Pierce was the lowest offensive graded Colts player last night. So he just wasn't involved whatsoever. But there were, I would say, some bright spots. I think that, you know, from a pass blocking perspective, Matt Ryan did take, you know, the one sack and was under pressure in certain spots. But this was actually, you know, uh, the Colts' best uh, pass blocking PFF grade that they've had so far this season as a unit. Uh, and that was, I, I would say, you know, in a lot of ways, kind of led by, uh, you know, Bernard Raymond, who we had, you know, as a really good, uh, you know, pass blocking grade so far this year, so far that week. So, it was so you know, so so he was Ryman was good last night. Is that what you're saying? Uh, at least yeah, numbers so wise Ryman, with you guys. So he had a 73.3 pass blocking grade, which I would say is you know a little bit above average. 89.9 right. run blocking grade, which is one of you know the, the better run blocking grades, especially from a tackle position that you would find in Week 12. So he was, I would say, uh, you know, probably one of the only bright spots for the Colts uh, offensively. Uh, yeah, there weren't very many. I mean, I would look at Jelani Woods after he dropped that ball at the end of the first half. It seemed like he kind of got focused in in the second half, and right. I thought played well. And, you know, really other than that, I think you're kind of chasing your tail as far as finding anything that was good about this team. And I think that's why, Ben, that you got so many people with such a lack of hope going on here right now, right. too, because we're talking about you – know, and the Steeler fan came on here, and this is, you know, about what we are and our culture and – I just when I have to hear about culture, I, this team right now with the Colts is just not talented. They're not talented right. enough. And at the very least, the Steelers can sell even with what four wins now. What are they four and seven? They can sell yep. their fan base of having those essential pieces at least right now under their roof, ready to roll. Whereas the Colts, the way you look at it, they don't. Yeah, and they have, you know, the one thing that the Colts, the Colts haven't had in quite some time, and it's, you know, I would say, you know, some hope for the future at the quarterback position because they've been, you know, completely uh, abrasive to actually trying to draft somebody, and they've gone with this, you know, retreat type free agent quarterback, and, and that has its flaws, right? Because I do think that, you know, when you're trying to piece together a roster, like the roster surrounding some of these guys, you know, specifically, you know, the Phillip Rivers year uh, and, and everything else, was a pretty good unit, but when you bring in a veteran guy at that type of, you know, salary cap, like those, those things start to fray a little bit. And I think that instead of, you know, obviously it's a little bit of revisionist history or a lot of bit of revisionist history, but actually going out and, and at least trying to find your guy through the draft, you know, it is kind of the first step I would say uh, to really turning uh, not only the culture around, but also, you know, the direction of the team around it. And until they, you know, bite the bullet and do that. And when they actually have the draft capital to do that, you know, I, I think there's still a lot of dark days ahead for Indianapolis Colts fans. 
Ben Brown at PFF. I'd agree with you on that via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I we didn't hear much from TJ Watt against Braden Smith last night. How did Braden Smith look on on the right tackle position matched up against TJ Watt oftentimes last night? Yeah, so he actually, uh, you know, I would say graded out uh, uh, quite well. 74.6 overall offensive grade was really good. Actually had, uh, you know, um, probably, uh, you know, him and him and Ryan Kelly had probably the best, you know, pass blocking grade along the offensive line, uh, 76.1 grade. So I think he held up, you know, better than uh, what we probably would have projected and was also pretty sound, you know, from a run blocking perspective. So I, I think, you know, at a lot of points early on in the season, we probably could have pointed to, you know, the offensive line kind of being at least, at least if it wasn't the main issue, uh, a pretty big chunk of the pie was probably placed in their direction and rightfully so. But last night, uh, I, I thought they held their own against a pretty decent front four and specifically, you know, TJ Watt, uh, I think they kind of held them in check a little bit. And, and we kind of see that play out, uh, you know, a little bit. And, you know, uh, Matt Ryan's like pressure rate, it was uh, definitely lower than it was throughout stretches uh, early on in the season. And I think, you know, that that speaks a little bit to uh, them at least holding their own uh, along the offensive line. Unfortunately, uh, they just didn't have enough volume maybe to grade out uh, any poorer than what they did, I guess. It's uh, Ben Brown of PFF on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Uh, before I uh, catch a loose here, I want to get to the defensive side of the football for the Colts. And I, I guess I wasn't really expecting this, especially with a dinged-up Najee Harris, who got, was dinged up again last night, had 10 carries, 35 yards. But if you put everybody's production together, the Steelers rushed it 36 times for 172 yards. How disappointing was this Colts defense against the rush for you last night? Yeah, it was – I mean, it wasn't great, right? But I do think when you kind of get up – uh, there for that many volume of carries, like the yards per carry, uh, you know, I would say is is, is kind of almost you know, along the lines of where you uh, probably want to live from a Colts perspective, right? So it was really just the volume that you know, in some ways, wore them down. But you know, guys like uh, Anthony McFarland and guys like Benny Snell, unfortunately, kind of beat you uh, at the end of the game, and you couldn't get a stop, and they kind of did break off a lot of those chunk plays towards the end of the game. So somewhat disappointed. I do still think you know, if, if you're looking for bright spots, you know, a guy like Grover Stewart has continued to play well. And I think ESPN specifically kind of put out this stat, but uh, it was something that I wanted to check in our data. And he actually uh, has the second most tackles for loss or no gain uh, of any defender, basically in the NFL, you know, through the first 12 weeks of the season. So he has graded pretty well from a PFF perspective. And I know he's a guy we've talked about previously, but I would say he is and has been, you know, consistently pretty stout, I would say, uh, along the interior defense line, especially from a run blocking perspective or a run defense perspective. Any other numbers before I let you go that stand out to you, either offensively or defensively last night as we move forward with, uh, unfortunately, a squad that uh, is 4-7-1 and one now and looks dismal uh, at best here in Colts uniforms. What do you think, Ben? Anything stand out? I mean, I'll say, you know, from a little bit of a sleeper perspective and a guy that I think definitely needs to get some more run here in the latter half of the season is Isaiah Rogers. I think he's PFF's, you know, second graded coverage cornerback so far this season has been really good. Did, you know, have basically allowed one reception for two yards yesterday. Has been on a little bit of a tear kind of since week nine. So I think there are maybe some pieces that you can find out, at least as far as, you know, how well are these young guys going to be able to hold out to, you know, a full complement of snaps. And I think that, you know, Isaiah Rogers specifically is a guy that you need to get involved, uh, you know, as much as possible here in the latter half of the season and really find out, you know, how good can this coverage unit be, you know, in 2023 with him in the fold. 
There it is, Ben Brown of PFF on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Not a great Monday night whatsoever for Colts fans, but breaking it down with the analytics for us, as he always does every Tuesday. My friend, I appreciate it. We'll get back to normal coming up next Tuesday, and that'll be coming off the Dallas game, so that should be pretty sweet. Can't wait to give you the, the uh, offensive line numbers <laughs> with that. Ought to be very nice. So I appreciate it. I appreciate you too. Thank you. We'll see what the pass blocking if it falls off a cliff here or not for the Cowboys. So it'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. The cliff is probably coming. Ben, thank you. Ben Brown, PFF on the Eddie Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Greg Graystraw is here with me, the Colts postgame show host, which just probably ended about an hour or so ago, just in time for you to watch USA, Iran, and USA going to the round of 16, the knockout round. The Netherlands coming up on Saturday morning at 9 a.m. I would describe the second half as very Tim Hardaway promo early 1990s. Ugly, but yeah. deadly. It, was not, it wasn't the best played half of soccer you ever saw, but it was good enough for the USA. They accomplished their goal, which is to make the round of 16. All right, Netherlands, one of the best, correct? Netherlands, one of the best, but not unbeatable. Uh, there's really only a couple of teams. Who's that Gecko guy or whatever he is who's scoring it well right now? The Geico Gecko, you know, he's got a low center <laughs> of gravity. Uh, it, it makes him pretty good. No, ne- Netherlands is talented, yeah. but they're not unbeatable. You know, the only couple of teams I look at and I go, I'm not sure the U.S. could match up with them right now would be France and Brazil. Yeah. If you can hang with England, you can hang and beat the Netherlands. Again, you've got to – you got to say you got to create more scoring chances, but honestly, if you're going to beat the Netherlands, you're going to have to play the way you play it today, the way you played against England, the way you played against Wales. Create, uh, create a, a couple of early goal-scoring chances, find a way to nick one, then hang on for dear life. I'm assuming Pulisic sacks okay after that goal. I, I would assume that once everything uh, you know rescinds from the canal, yeah. he should be able to go. But uh, if you're going to give a couple up for your country. Do it for the glory of a World Cup goal, and that's and, exactly what he did. No doubt about that. So the USA moving on. That's a Saturday morning, 9 a.m. get-together and the knockout round, the round of 16 versus Netherlands. Again, 9 a.m. coming up on Saturday morning. I'm so used to doing post-game shows that Soccer Saturday will now be a very unique pregame show. It will, won't it? On Saturday yeah. morning, leading in from 9 a to 10 a.m. All right, you did the post-game show last night. I asked this question before anything else, and you could talk about you know, the, the inspiring third quarter or what have you with the Colts last night, but how in the world do you have any whatsoever, any excuse for the way that they came out and played in that first quarter and in that first half? You don't. And again, the offense, the only excuse is the offense has been this consistently bad for most of the season. Uh, defense finally had an off night, uh, I guess, because Steelers just aren't very good. This is the worst you know, t- Steelers team in 20 years. And, and they ran for over 170 yards. And I, I thought there was way too much cushion on receivers earlier in the game. Uh, it got better as the game went along and still Steelers had like what, 346 yards of offense and 24 points. So if, if the Colts had an average offense, they wouldn't be able to compete in last night's game or, or give themselves a better chance to win and they didn't. So, but, but no, I mean, it was just, I, I, I thought the Colts looked flat last night and really played one good quarter out of four and let a uh, below average team coming to their place and beat them, uh, you know, somewhat near, near close to 24 hours ago. And then you just, you know, I mean, you let, you know, Pittsburgh in the fourth, you know, not only score, right. but then, you know, uh, going for two and getting the two-point conversion. It's just, especially the way that they started, for a team that has an owner, it really, I mentioned this earlier, as much as what Jim Irsay has talked about, what he expects and what the Colts fans should expect, this team has done basically on every single level the complete opposite. Correct. <laughs> the complete opposite. It's, it's all been hollow words yeah, so far this has. year. I mean, and again, we can, we can give you 39 different reasons. 
they're not playing well enough or they don't have the proper talent. Whatever you do, however you want to organize it, if you don't have the right guys at the right spots, you're not going to win. And that is exactly the position this football team is in. I said this a little bit earlier. I tell you what, I'll save it. Let's take a break. Sure. Greg, you can come back. The Colts Post Game Show host is with us at the Ale Emporium. We're in Fishers, close to Geist. That's 116 in Olio with our friends from the Indy 11. The USA moving on to the knockout round. Netherlands, their matchup coming up on Saturday morning at 9 a.m. A little bit more on that. A lot more on the Colts. Your calls at 239-1070 coming up as well. The Pacers late night, well into the early morning, saving the indie sports morale for today with Andrew Nemhart. And just what an outstanding play from Tyrese Halliburton to get Nemhart the ball. He knocked down that three, which is the game winner. I would like to thank the Pacers, A, for all the reasons you just gave, but also they hit that shot exactly as we were playing one of our post-game interviews. Did they? So I could actually watch and, like, drop a bomb into my microphone, and it never made the radio in watching that last night. So thank you, Andrew, not just for beating the Lakers, but for timing when you hit that shot. Absolutely perfect for my viewing. I, and, and while that was a great shot, game winner, I, I have been talking about Halliburton all day, about yeah. the great play that he made. Just a spectacular in-that-moment play that just simply put, not a lot of people even on that level, Greg, can make. I love the connectivity of that team. I love, I love watching how much they enjoy being around one another. It's got a kind of a college feel to it because they are so young. But, again, um, basketball seemingly is going to be saving us because the college scene looks pretty good. Clearly, the professional team is better than we thought they would be with the football team being in the absolute opposite direction. I think the last time I remember this team being this connected was, I can't remember which year that it was. It was Oladipo's first year. Was that with yes. Corey Joseph? Like 17, 18, where, they they, where the entire yes, team lifts him up, up and you see, you see the smiles. Yeah, like This yeah. group enjoys playing with right. each other. I'm 99% sure that was the 17-18 season, and that's exactly the way it felt because that team that won 46 games was the five seed. Yeah. Um, you know, we were all like, hey, what a great year. Even though they lost in the first round, it was a great year because that team completely exceeded expectations. And this team is shaping up like that team. You've largely got a young core that you can now keep together for many years to that, come. That, that uh, connectivity is what I thought about with Corey Joseph yeah, after same. that add one situation no, exactly. that yep. you saw last night as well. We'll come back with Greg on the other side. Hey, right now, number nine at 239-1070. If you guys are going down, for example, Boilermaker fans, you get the Boilers and the Wolverines coming up on Saturday night in that title tilt, right, for the championship of the Big Ten. So if you're going, I'm going to send you right now with a couple of passes to the Bullseye Event Center, the bullseyeeventgroup.com. It is the championship game, VIP tailgate, all you can eat, all you can drink. Now, if you don't win, your passes, if you're a Boilermaker fan or a Michigan fan, they're available right now at bullseyeeventgroup.com. But right now, number nine at 239-1070, all you can eat, all you can drink, you're going to be entertained before that title game on Saturday, three hours prior to the start of the game at the Bullseye event center with bullseyeeventgroup.com. Number nine is a winner as we hang out at the Ale Emporium in Fishers, 116 and Oleo Road with 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 
Ball between the hash marks. Ryan out of the gun. Taylor stays in as his back to the right side. Looking left, Ryan. Lost into the fade pattern. Into the end zone. It's a catch. Michael Pittman Jr. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. And the game is tied. 16 apiece with 16 ticks to go in the third quarter. And that, folks, is our Allegiant Air. Great round of the game. Oh, that, that was <laughs> yeah. last night's show. That's last night. I'm sorry. They are not I'm a sponsor of this show. Mode. They should be, but I'm they're sorry. not a sponsor of this show. My bad. All right, that's Greg Rakestraw, Colts postgame show host, who thinks he's still doing the postgame show I haven't last slept night. yet, John. What, I've been what on the time did show. you get home from that? Uh, I got home at about 2.50. I was still uh, up. I leg- of course you were. Yeah. Um, I, I legitimately am operating on about three and a half hours sleep. Oh, I got two and a half that, hours last As you night. well know, the kids don't care that you were up late and no working. Doubt. They need to be good at school. Well, at, at I, I right had the good fortune last night of being able to go on to the Pacer game. They got down 19 and then 17 in the fourth quarter. I hung in there and then got to see what was an absolute incredible. That was an Alcoa fantastic finish from our football days back in the 1980s. I think the only Colts player that was ever in an Alcoa fantastic <laughs> finish. Do you remember him? Ray Butler. Ray Butler. The immaculate reception. Ray Butler, I believe. The immaculate against, deflection, sorry. Yes, I believe that was against. Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers. One of the three right. wins the Indianapolis Colts ever have against the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not kidding. That eight, is it, yeah. 84, it. 2008, and yep. there's one in there somewhere in the middle. Oh, the uh, 2005 regular season of Monday Night Football. My question is, why do they still not have the Alcoa fantastic finish? Is Alcoa even a thing anymore? I think it still is in southern Indiana. I'm not sure. Yes, down in Cap- right, uh, yeah. down by Newburgh. Is that right, where yeah. Alcoa is? Maybe they felt they didn't need to spend their money on uh, you know a week-old highlights. The Alcoa fantastic finish was fantastic. Not so much for the Colts last night. Off to a dreadful start in the first half. And then inspired play, I guess, in the third quarter. And then, as usual, their offense cannot close the door. They didn't last night with a multitude of errors. Greg Rakestraw joins us on JMV AL Emporium. We're with the Indy 11, where USA moves on to the knockout round with a 1-0 win over Iran. USA, 9 a.m. Saturday morning in that round of 16, knockout style matches up against Greg Netherlands. Netherlands, so again, uh, anytime you get one of the top five or six teams in Europe, you know they are talented. Um, But I think the U.S. hung with a better team in England who after basically barely being able to get a shot off against the U.S. on Friday, then put three up on Wales yeah. in the second half of today's match. So, again, that makes the U.S. efforts in a 1-1 draw against Wales and the 1-0 win today. Well, they've not been high scoring. They've been very difficult to get shots on or very difficult to have a great amount of possession against. And to me... That translates very well into playing the Netherlands coming up on Saturday morning. All right, biggest surprise in the World Cup so far? You know, there, but because we are just getting to the payoff end of the tournament, you know, you can have a – the way the group stages work, you can kind of have a bad game and still get by with it. Yeah. So the next three days, you know, the other groups, C, D, E, F, G, and H, uh, will all have their final matches, groups A and B, wrapped up today. So in group A, Netherlands, which was a huge favorite, made it out of their group. Senegal over Ecuador is a bit of a surprise, but Ecuador's top player was injured and couldn't play today, and Senegal took advantage of that. The fact that Qatar didn't win a match was, was not exactly a surprise. Um, the fact that it's the U.S. and England coming out of the group, not a huge surprise. Some maybe have thought it would have been Wales against the U.S. So nothing major yet. You know, we have had matches like Saudi Arabia beating Argentina. That is the equivalent of a 16 beating a 1 in the NCAA tournament. Uh, the fact that Japan beat Germany, a surprise, but where the real surprises lie is when one of those teams that pulls off a win like that 
then can back it up with enough other results to at least get to the round of 16. So uh, I'll have a better answer on that question for you seven days from now. USA, Netherlands, 9 a.m. coming up on Sunday, or Saturday, Saturday morning. Sleep in. Pre-ga- pre-game is 9 a.m. Okay. Kickoff is at 10 a.m. 10 a.m. 10 a.m. for you yes. coming up. Yes. Uh, meantime, Colts last night, Monday night football, lose 24-17. to 17. Colts now 4-7-1 and one on the season. Jeff Saturday met with the media earlier today. I don't think you were a part of that, nope. but... He, we had all wondered why he was not utilizing timeouts. And again, I mentioned it this way. They weren't going to win. I didn't expect them to win, but I thought that they needed a timeout to catch the breath, to set some things up. Jeff Saturday, last night after the game, said that he kind of felt like time wasn't an issue. He doubled back on that. And then today feels as if he should have called a timeout. The biggest role that that played in that game and the loss. Is it very large? I'm kind of downplaying, I guess, a little I, bit just because I don't think their offense was going to have enough to push it into the end zone anyway. Agreed. I'm, I'm in the exact same boat. Um, so, yeah, would they have been better off if they taken the timeout? Yes. Do I think it really would have affected the end product? Not likely. So I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. Yeah, I, I just I couldn't see that part happening. The, the disappointment for me was the way that they started out in the, in the first half. Agreed. There's no doubt about yep. that. And, and I mentioned this to Ben Brown a little bit earlier. I was disappointed defensively, especially with, with the last touchdown and the two-point conversion they gave up. And then with once Najee Harris went down, too, it seems like Benny Snell continued to move the football. You look at their overall numbers, 172 yards on the ground with a dinged up at best and then not playing Najee Harris. That one good plus you got what Kenny Pickett last night ran that Jalen Hurts play that quarterback draw I think three times against this Colts team and got some yards pretty good yardage at least out of two of the three let's face it the defense I wouldn't say they, they've they've earned the night the right to have a bad game the defense has been what has carried this team to whatever level of success they've had all season long the defense was average last night they've been really good most of the year we saw the difference in that a night ago. A lot of coaches, a lot of organizations after a bad season say we are going to go under the microscope from top to bottom and look at what has gone wrong, evaluate everything. Oftentimes, I just think that's a bunch of words. In this case, it does need to be because a lot of what has been built foundationally has failed them this season, Greg, miserably. And you would say, though, that you have done everything that you can do once the year started. If you've changed your head coach, if you flipped your quarterback a couple of times, if you removed your offensive coordinator, you've kind of done as much tinkering and swapping yeah. as you can do during the regular season. So it's kind of like, hey, the last five games of the season, I'm, there's no quick fixes at this point. This team is what it is until you get to the offseason and potentially scrap it and reboot it. Jeff Saturday, the guy for the future, you think here? I have no idea. Um, just because... There's, there's five games left to go. We saw a little bit of an impact against the Raiders, but what we've seen the last couple of weeks yeah. looked looks kind the of, same. Looked kind of like just before. And again, coaches make a difference, but it is always about the Jimmys and the Joes more so than the X's and the O's. And again, there's just not enough good pieces. Well, and that. that's why I point the finger at Chris Ballard entirely for where this team is right now, the way that it's built. And the difference is between what you saw last night in the Steelers and the Colts right now is even in a bad season in Pittsburgh, you still have some of those foundational pieces. Plus, you get a look into the future where you have quarterback in place. I like George Pickens a great deal, a wide receiver. I think if you know he stays... 
if he stays good, stays on the field, he's going to be. But Rick Venturi and I talked a little bit earlier on my way here. He kind of compared him to what he thinks he's going to be a guy like A.J. Brown. I would tend to agree with that comparison. They have a lot, along with Fryermuth, the tight end. They have a lot of what the Colts don't have in place, and I guess specifically at the quarterback position, what they believe to be the long-term fixture here. And those are some of the answers the Colts are going to be tracking down. Correct. I mean, again, it's just, are there some pieces here you're going to keep? Absolutely. But are there enough good ones for this team to be truly competitive right now? No. And this group has gone so long without a reboot. You know, we had one in 2012, and we're thinking, hey, this is going to be a long-term process. And they go 11-5. and And so it has been, and and it's it's great to be in win-now mentality for 10 consecutive years. It means you think you're going to be good. This team should have won more during that time. There are multiple reasons as to why that's the case, but they've never looked at themselves in an offseason and saying, hey, it's, it's probably time that we have to kind of build the foundation back up. And I think that's where this franchise is for the first time really in 11 years. I think we've also gone, I think if you were to ask some people within the organization now, whereas maybe prior to, maybe not everybody, but certainly the owner felt this way, wanted to win games still. I think now... If you continue to lose and you continue to take a nosedive, I don't think as far as the future is concerned, that's altogether going to make anybody unhappy any longer. Well, I think yesterday, I think last night is what that meant moving forward here. And let's face it, from a mathematical standpoint again, are the Colts at 4-7 going to be a playoff team? No. But mathematically, you could still win five consecutive games and potentially be a playoff team. 9-7-1 and one was the seventh playoff seed a year ago. If the game in Dallas goes kind of how we think it's going to go, now you're going into a bye at 4-8-1. and one. Yeah. And then you can have more realistic and honest conversations about what the last month of the season looks like. All right, I'll let you bail here. A Thank little bit you. more about the Indy 11, too. So Indy 11, obviously we're getting ready to start season number 10, uh, remarkably, coming up in March. Uh, we sit with a few of the players, Jared Timmer, A.J. Cochran, and former player Matt Watson, who's getting ready to head out to go become a, an assistant coach at FC Tulsa. They were all here for part of the watch part today. Good to catch up with those guys. We will start making players signing announcements over the course of the next handful of days in terms of players we are bringing back. We've already announced some of the players that won't be coming back for next year. But the way that kind of the, the, the fiscal calendar works for these guys, they're on a 10-month contract. Basically, the contract starts February the 1st and runs through November the 30th, as in tomorrow. So the next couple of months are about player signings and tryout camps and free agent acquisitions and things like that. But really, training camp will get underway two months from Thursday, in and around February the 1st. We'll start play- playing friendlies a couple of weeks after that. And by the second Saturday in March, we'll be playing a 34-game USL championship season. So tickets are always available at Indy11.com, 317-685-1100. And please make sure you download and use the Indy11 app. And thank you for having us, Indy11. Thank you for the ale and pour. And we've got another hour to go to, Greg. Go home, get some sleep. Of course, you know me. I'm going to go do a high school basketball game. I'm at Pendleton Heights. It's like right over there. We're so far east. So <laughs> You're I'm, going I'm, to do a high school I'm, basketball I'm game I'm going right north now. to do Westfield and Pendleton Heights at 730. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to nap for two hours in my car first. All right, brother. I appreciate it. See you. So Greg Rakestraw, everybody here with us live at the Ale Emporium. We're in Fishers off of 116 and Olio with the Indy 11. USA moving on to the knockout round. They get Netherlands coming up on Saturday morning, 9 a.m. The pre-10 a.m. is when things are official. Underway. Netherlands and USA. USA beats Iran 1 0 earlier. 
today. Meantime, we come back. Zach Kiefer, top of the hour of the Athletic, what Jeff Saturday had to say about how he handled the situation late in the game on Monday Night Football last night and his evaluation of this team. Will he agree with me? Plus, on the other side, your chance to be a part of the Bullseye Event Center in that championship game, Boilermakers and Wolverines, VIP tailgate coming up on Saturday afternoon into Saturday evening again at the Bullseye Event Center. That's coming up as well. Live from the Ale, we're in Fisher's on a Tuesday, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Say, man, you got a joint? Uh, no, not on me, man. <laughs> It'd be a lot cooler if you did. <laughs> 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Honestly, you need about 12 of them to get you past that first half of play on Monday Night Football from a Colts standpoint last night. Welcome back to the show. Colts lose 24-17 Monday Night Football. We're at the Ale Emporium today with the Indy 11. USA, Netherlands, that's the setup in the round of 16. The knockout round coming up on Saturday at 10 a.m. USA advances with a 1-0 win over Iran earlier this afternoon. One of the real reasons why we're here today. Pacers win last night. Game winner, Andrew Nimhart, the rookie from Gonzaga in what was an outstanding play in that moment at the end of the game by Tyrese Halliburton. If you haven't seen it, and I think probably everybody has, you got to go back. And honestly, Nimhart knocking that down was awesome, but the play was absolutely made to get him that ball in that moment by Halliburton. It was awesome. Check that out. Next up for the Pacers, seven-game Western Road Swing, game three, finds them in Sacramento. So we'll do a little... All right, how are the Kings doing with that trade compared to the Pacers are doing? We'll do that coming up on the show tomorrow. But last night, 24-17, the final Steelers over the Colts. And really, 4-7-1 on the season as we bring in Zach Kiefer of The Athletic. I want to get to the Jeff Saturday remarks earlier today about his mistake in judgment and not calling a timeout. And I guess his apology to the team when he stands before them coming up tomorrow. But first things first, you get a team. From the top on down, starting with Jim Irsay, so outspoken, you know, shaking their fist at the NFL for not giving them, you know, a standalone Monday night football game or a a nationally televised home football game. You get that in Monday night football after the first time in, what, seven years, and then your team responds and comes out completely flat, playing to that level. I thought that that was embarrassing in the first half last night. It was. John, like, let's let's go back to this. Like, you've been pining the NFL for this game, for this home game on Monday Night Football on national television, and how do you respond? You don't complete a pass until six minutes to go before halftime. It was the longest a team has gone without completing one pass in a game since the Broncos during the COVID year when their entire quarterback <laughs> room was wiped out due to COVID, and they had to start a freaking a wide, wide receiver. receiver. Yeah, <laughs> this offense is so broken and it's hard to watch. And I look, I feel for the fans that were there last night that paid money. I feel for the fans that stayed up and watched that whole thing because this team has taken years off my life just covering it. I can't imagine being emotionally invested. But look, they, they talk the talk and, and Jim Irsay can say what he wants. But when they beat the Raiders, he gets on Twitter and says, you guys all criticize me for making this move. We win. 
Well, now they're coming back to life, and now the polish has started to worn off, and now you're starting to see, like what you mentioned a minute ago with the timeout fiasco, what it's like when you hire a guy off an ESPN set to coach an NFL team. Look, Jeff can give them some oomph, some juice, some fire, and I think he has to some degree. But at the end of the day, that, that only goes so far in this league. And you don't win games. You don't win seasons because of fiery post-game or pre-game speeches. You win with good players and good positions, and you win with schematics and coaching. And they got out-coached last night, and they made a pretty bad mess of it at the end. Hey, Zach, I, I think this is a, a horrible example, but I think that it's true, uh, twofold here. One is, I think more the reason last night that people weren't as outraged um, as you thought they might be because of the lack of a timeout is because there was no thought that this team could score a touchdown to get even in the first place. So you're just kind of saying, yeah, whatever. And I think people felt the same way because, I'm sorry, that final play, Paris Campbell was interfered with. And I've heard absolutely nothing outside of me. And I'm not crying about the officiating, but that was a defensive pass interference to me, textbook, and it wasn't called. And I and others didn't make too much out of it because of the low level of expectations that this offense is right now. You just didn't think they were going to get it done in the end. Thus, you really didn't care. Yeah, that's the sad part, right? So the issue I had with the explanation we got last night was Jeff Saturday saying we had a lot of time and I felt good. I wouldn't have felt good in that situation because they were on the 27-yard line. Like, if you're inside the 6 or the 8, like, okay, yeah. Then I'm thinking you've got enough time with these timeouts. And, and to go to your point, like, this team's not good enough to bank on a touchdown from the 27. I don't think they're good enough to bank on a touchdown from the freaking 1-yard line. And we learned that last night when they fumbled the ball. So that's a good point. And I also didn't didn't buy for one second the idea that the Colts were – we're not trying to score too fast. Like, they don't get to say that. They don't get to right. think that. they don't. This is one of the worst red zone teams in the league this year. This is one of the worst scoring teams in the league. Every touchdown feels like an anomaly right now for this team. When you average 14, 15 points a game, you have one of the fewest touchdown totals in the league. So I'm not buying any of that. And, and a pretty strong mea culpa today from Jeff Saturday, to his credit, just came out and completely owned it. He said, this was all on me. I'm going to address the players tomorrow but look this was this was a rookie coaching mistake you know for those that watched the week one game between Denver and Seattle when Peyton Manning was basically calling timeout like what 38 times like that was all of us in the press box I bet that was you wherever you watched it I bet that was everybody in the stadium and the only ones that didn't know to call a timeout are the coach and the quarterback and the play caller and that's just a huge mistake that you can't make in that situation all right, through now three games being one and two, how has Jeff Saturday accounted for himself as a first-time head coach, in this case, an interim coach with the Colts? Yeah, like I mentioned a minute ago, it, it feels like some of the shine has worn off, and, and, and now we're into the real part, right? It, it, you get the opening press conference, you get the opening week, you play a bad Raiders team, and that certainly helped, didn't it? The, the fact that the Raiders just like didn't tackle in the back end and you win that game and you're sort of the story of the NFL for a week or so. And then it gets real and and the really good coaches can handle that. And they blew a game against the Eagles and they blew this one against the Steelers. And now they've blown three straight home games with fourth quarter leads. This is who they are. They can change the coach. They can change the quarterback. They can change the OC, the play caller, you name it. This is who the Colts are. They're a team with some talented players 
that just cannot stop finding ways to lose games. I don't think Jeff Saturday has done a particularly great job with the offensive line. You know, maybe he gave them a boost early, but again, it's, you know, I said this then, and it wasn't a popular opinion. They're playing the worst defensive line in the league in, in the Las Vegas Raiders, who made them look good that day. They got beat up last week against the Eagles and gave up four sacks. Today, he said he's sticking with Bernard Ryman at left tackle and Will Fries at right guard, but you know, they gave up three sacks last night. This is an offensive problem. It's not just that unit. You know, Matt Ryan didn't play well last night. The reason early is because nobody was getting open down the field. Uh, that doesn't excuse Ryan's first two passes. The first should have gotten intercepted. The second was. So, I don't know about you, man, but when I just watch this offense, I feel like every yard seems hard, and I just feel like there's no answer. And if Jeff was brought in to fix the offensive line, which is really at the root of all these issues, there's no magic fix. There's no magic pill. There's no Anthony Costanzo coming back to fix the left tackle position. That was so royally effed up in the offseason that you're not going to fix it in November or December. And this is what they are. Um, and, and I just don't think Jeff Saturday is going to be able to fix anything down the road. And they might not win another game until they play Houston and Week 18. Well, I can tell you this. I think before last night they cared about it. I don't think any longer they care about winning another game, which Zach – Zach Key for the Athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline brings me to this. I also will stand and say I've seen enough from Chris Ballard. I don't need to see his fingerprints on where they're going next because he had his chance to build it. And let's face it, this team is a failure right now. Where they are right now with Chris Ballard, you know, you punted your head coach midseason. Now the spotlight, if you will, is going to go on the general manager, and it's been a failure. So if you're going to move forward and you're really going to put everything under the microscope, as this team should, don't you have to move on without the general manager? This is absolutely a failure. It's a failed season, and it starts there. It starts with three people, really, Frank Reich and Chris Ballard. And and Jim Mercy, obviously, I don't know what Jim Mercy is going to do. I know what he said a couple weeks ago when we asked him directly about Chris Ballard's future but I don't take his word into account as much as I once did because he said Frank Reich was safe two weeks before he fired him for an ESPN analyst. So we have to take that into account. If he does move on from Chris Ballard, that's a very obvious sign that he wants to start over from scratch. Personally, and this is just my opinion, I don't think he wants to do that. I don't think he wants to go all the way and go new GM, new head coach, and obviously new quarterback moving forward. They probably take one in the first round of the draft. So does he want to do that? I don't know. I really don't know. I don't think he does. But again, I'm sitting there last night watching this team and I'm thinking, well, they don't have an edge rusher, really. I mean, Quinny Pay's been okay, but he's he's hurt a lot. They don't have a left tackle and they don't have a quarterback of the future. And I can't think of three more important positions moving forward for this league. It's great you have an awesome left guard or at least a formerly awesome left guard and I can go on and on and Fabio Carrique has played well, and Rodney McLeod was a great signing. It doesn't matter if you don't have those three positions figured out, and it's been a long time since they did, and that's a damning thing on Chris Ballard's resume right now that Jim Mercer is going to have to live with and decide upon because this QB carousel, as we said, is not working. But it's not just that. It's not just that. It's, it's the way this team was built, and the flaws are so obvious every single Sunday and Monday night last night. And, Zach, that's it. I'm not trying to be your normal radio horse's ass here at all. I just look at it this way. If it's Ballard again, clearly his 
philosophy on how to build a team has been a failure. So does he change that up? Does he go a different direction? I mean, don't you now have to go with a philosophy that you don't altogether believe in? I just think that a lot of this is going to entail a fresh start. And in particular, at quarterback, I just, if, if you're Jim Mercer, I don't know how you move on with something that clearly has not worked out over a six year span. Yeah, that's a totally valid point. That's an answer that Jim Mercer is going to have to stand in front of the media and, 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 you know, in turn, his fan base and answer. Because, you know, it's one thing, and, and for those of us that cover the team, like, look, our job is to tell you why the team is doing what it's doing. You can agree, you can disagree, and that's why it's fun, right? We don't know how it's going to turn out. And I've said this all along. It's one thing to be all about the offensive line. Like, that's fine. Like, I did a whole freaking podcast series on why they screwed up the previous quarterback because they never built around him, and, and I understand it's complicated. But everybody was on board with the offensive line when it was kicking ass, right? And then when it falls apart, it's like, okay, if you're going to be about the offensive line, then you need to be about the offensive line. And Matt Ryan would have been okay this year. I'm not really willing to go further, but he would have been okay if they were who they used to be. And then it all fell apart, and you, and you gambled just terribly at left tackle and right guard. And I've never seen two positions on the line sabotage a season like those two have sabotaged this Colts season. There's so many more issues. But – you're right. If, if you're going to be about one approach, and that approach is so obviously flawed and wrong, we all saw it last night. We've seen it for a couple of months now. Doesn't it mean you need a fresh start? And the other thing is, is this is a really important point. You're going to probably be hiring a new coach. Like, I don't know if Jeff Saturday is back. I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's probably less of a chance right now than there was 24 hours ago after the way the game ended last night. But maybe I'm getting a little bit too far ahead of myself. But if you go outside for this hire, what coach wants to come in here knowing that the owner has made some decisions of late and not even the GM has been able to make some decisions of late? And that's a very real thing when you start to think about the next coach you want to get, which obviously job number one will be to mold the future franchise quarterback that this team has been looking for for three or four years now. I, I And I kind of look at it this way. I think Jeff is going to have a gig here. I do. I think that, that yeah, Jim Mercer wants it to be the, the head coach. Uh, yeah, yeah, it may not be on the sideline, but I do think if he wants it, I, and I don't know how much we're considering right now, by the end of the season, we're in, you know, now through three weeks of him being the coach, and he's going to go into the locker room tomorrow and, you know, tell those players how much he muffed up the, the situation late in that game. I, I mean, do we honestly know at the end of this year that he will want to still be doing this? Because the dude had a cush life. I mean, he's going back and forth from Bristol to Atlanta. He was coaching up kids, and he was able to be like me and just kind of swing from the rooftops and say, this is what's going wrong because I've got the loudest voice right now. And, and, and now he's taking he, – now he, people are swinging at him. You think that – do we honestly know that he will want to be in a position as a coach or – somebody in this front office once the season is done? No, we don't. And Jeff has said this. Jeff has said this publicly. He doesn't know if he wants to be the long-term solution. And, and I'll give him credit. He's not, he's not BSing us. He's not just saying what Ursay wants to hear. He does not know yet if he wants to be the full-time coach. I think this was an eight-week experiment on both sides. Ursay to get a fresh perspective on his team and to see if Jeff Saturday could light a fire under these guys. But also if Jeff wanted to get into coaching. 
Now, to counter that, I would say, if you want to see if Jeff Saturday is a capable coach, this is not the situation to bring him in and, and have him take over. Like, this was an unprecedented situation in a lot of ways where you're setting him up to fail because you don't have an answer at quarterback, the offensive line's broken, all these things we've been talking about for a couple of months. Now, look, you know, we asked Reggie Wayne this question a couple of weeks ago. We said, you think Jeff's going to stick around full time? And he said, I don't know, man. I mean, the Jeff that I know likes to be at home with his kids. Now, Jeff's kids are older. I think one of them plays in North Carolina. So that changes things a little bit. But, man, I mean, Reggie's made this very clear. Like, it's one thing to be a player. It's another thing to be a coach. And even Robert Mathis mentioned this. Like, you're showing up when it's dark and you're leaving when it's dark. And a lot of these guys have trouble with that. I don't think Reggie Wayne's long for coaching. He's kind of been really obvious about that. And I don't yeah. know if Jeff Saturday is, and maybe I'm wrong here, but that, that's a very real factor in this. Everyone kind of just assumes that he wants to be the guy moving forward in 2023. Jeff has not said that, and honestly, I don't even think Jeff has made that decision yet. So, Zach Key from The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. I guess we kind of make the transition to some of these what-if storylines. This is interesting to me because let's just say that, that Jeff Saturday doesn't want to do it anymore. And then Jim is true to his word, and Chris Ballard is back. So Chris Ballard is going to get another swing at hiring another head coach and rebuilding this thing. I <laughs> That's going to be a tough sell around here, will it not? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. I think so. And, and look, and, you know, this is a little bit more common than people think. Some GMs survive these things. Some GMs have a tenure that has three different head coaches, which means you missed on two, right? Um, and I'm not saying that's going to happen, um, but in the back of my mind, something tells me Jim Irsay does not want to blow it up, a la after the 2011 season, and just start completely from scratch. Now, again, he's been a little bit impetuous this season. He's definitely been unprecedented, so I'm not ruling anything off the table. I've learned that. Anything, anything I say today could be totally wrong because he could change his mind and change everything he said so far. Um, but look, I mean, that's the GM's job. The GM's job is to go hire a coach. The last time they went and hired a coach, he backed out after agreeing to become the coach and Ursay stepped in and said, we're going to go get Frank Reich. So again, like Chris Ballard's never even really hired a head coach here. So um, does he get, you know, in what amounts to a third chance? I don't know. But there's, we're getting to the point where there's five games left. The, the results of the games matter so little. Losses are more valuable because of the draft positioning. And all that matters about the future of this franchise is what Ursay decides to do come January 9th or 10th, whenever it is after that last game against Houston, determining the fate of his GM and Chris Ballard and then what he wants to do at head coach. Is it financially responsible? And, and given the decision that Jim Ursay made earlier this season, I think a lot of that was in mind. And I don't want to see Sam Ellinger, but I'm sick of seeing Matt Ryan. I mean, maybe I want to see Nick Foles now. I'm not sure. But is it financially responsible for the Colts to shut down Matt Ryan, given the circumstances? Jim Ursay has fought back on this very, very fervently. He said no decisions about the roster will be made based on financial implications. I'm with you, man. Like what? Matt Ryan, it doesn't look like he's it right now. And I know that, you know, a couple of weeks ago I was saying you got to go back to Matt Ryan. And it seemed like that was the right choice against the Raiders. But if you're bringing in a rookie quarterback, wouldn't it make sense on paper to have Matt Ryan here? Um, I don't think the Colts are a playoff team in 2023, no matter what you do. So that's the reality. 
if you're going to draft a guy, you're not going to draft a guy in the top four unless you move up. So if assuming you've got a guy that's probably not ready to play, it would probably be a good idea to have a seasoned veteran like Matt Ryan in place. But I totally can see the other side of the argument. He's not getting it done. His arm doesn't look the same. It's not going to get any better next year. So you're going to – the bottom line is it's going to get worse before it gets better. I'm just kind of thinking about it. The Colts, what, 4-7-1 and one right now. I, I mean, it's going to be a dogfight to see who can lose the best against the Texans, I guess, <laughs> at the end of the season. But, I mean, they could, I guess. I mean, they've tied them already. Um, yeah, well, obviously, they could they could out. easily lose. They could lose out, and then when you look at some of these teams, and I know that you got a four win Raiders team right now. They're probably better than the four wins might even advertise, and don't know where they're going with with Derek Carr. We know in the AFC West, yeah, the Broncos are kind of stuck right now as a three win team. It would seem with Russell Wilson. I, I mean, can they can they get up there and compete with the Lions? With the, you know, the Packers have. You know, they've got a quarterback of the future right now, even if it's not Aaron Rodgers. I think the Bears with Justin Fields got a quarterback of the future. Uh, the Panthers are going to be looking for a quarterback. The Saints will be looking for a quarterback. Uh, the Rams may now be looking for a quarterback, given the situation with Matthew Stafford. And, you know, who all and he knows about Arizona? So can they compete for those other teams that logically may be going out and searching for a quarterback come the draft in the spring? You know what I haven't said all season is this. I like the Colts' chances, and, and here's why. I mean, you go to Dallas. Dallas is 8-3. You go to Minnesota, they're 9-2. You go to the Chargers, and you host the Chargers. They're 6-5. and five. Then you go to the Giants, who are 7-4. and four. So the next four, with the bye wow. squeeze in between, all those teams are going to be playing for something. All those teams are going to be playing for playoff positioning. And so it's very realistic to think the Colts might not see another win until that Houston game. And like you said, they couldn't even beat Houston – in week one, fully healthy with everything on the line in a week one game that you haven't won in God knows how long. So it's going to get worse in terms of the short-term game stuff. But, yeah, they're going to have to move up. And, and I like their chances of moving into the top nine or ten. But even that, I don't know how comfortable you feel. And the other, the other layer in all of this is you were kind of hoping you would have another second-round pick. And I always thought that extra second-round pick that you had coming from Washington because of the Carson Wentz trade would help you maneuver to get four or five spots, right? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a costly thing to do when we're talking the very top of the draft. This will be the highest they've drafted since 2018, I would expect. But you're not going to get that second rounder as of right now. It's Taylor Heineke's team in Washington. Wentz has only played 50% of the snaps. That's a bigger deal here than a lot of people realize because you're going to be stuck with a third rounder. Now, you can still move up, but it's just a lot easier when you've got two twos. So we'll see what they do. But like you said, there's a lot of teams that need quarterbacks, and this is a good quarterback draft. So get ready for a lot of quarterback talk the next six months. It's uh, Zach Key for the Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Before I let you go, it seems like this team has majorly taken, taken steps backwards. And normally in the NFL, that's why we love it, right? Because you can be a really bad team and then counter the next year, do some things right, make some good decisions, and be right back up there in competition. But this team seems like it's going full throttle in reverse right now. And and to me, I hate to say this, but it seems like it's going to be more than just, hey, you know, next year you're going to be back into it. It seems like it's going to be a lot longer than what many people would believe it to be once we kind of sift through the rubble all this offseason. Yeah, I don't think they're as close as, as maybe they think they are, 
right? You're going to bring in a new coach, whether it's Jeff Saturday or somewhere else. But I feel like the entire approach is flawed. I think every fan out there listening and watched it last, that watched last night would agree. Like, this, this team doesn't have the positions filled where you need to have filled in this league in this era. Like, you can't have an offense that simply cannot get first downs until five minutes is left in the second quarter. Like, you can't do that. they got a stud at running back who, who can't stop fumbling the ball, but also who, who just can't find a hole. And he, every time he gets the ball, he's getting hit in the backfield. So there's – like, even the things they're supposed to be good at, which are good for the 1990s era of pro football, they're not good at right now. And that's a huge problem. So, man, I, I don't know if this team's been in a worse spot since, since maybe 2017, but even then – you know, there was a pretty strong belief that Andrew Luck was going to come back from the shoulder. This has been a long way. Like, it, it, I don't know where this team goes from here besides a total, total rethink on their approach. And, and I think you evaluate everything. And that means the contracts you have on that payroll right now, your approach, your coaching, everything needs to be looked at because what they're doing right now is just so obviously flawed. Zach Kiefer of The Athletic with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Get a Sunday nighter against Dallas. Um, we're kind of knowing how that is going to go. Do you think, um, and this is just, this probably has really no bearing on anything anybody cares about, but um, are, we, are we seeing, and maybe that happened last year in Atlanta, but you're talking about a Hall of Fame quarterback, a future Hall of Fame quarterback. Is his career here at the tail end being besmirched? by these past couple of years and especially where he is with this Colts team right now? Yeah, that's a fair point. I, I certainly think the arm quite isn't what it used to be. And, and all, all that I heard from talking to people around Atlanta last year about Matt Ryan was, man, if you just give him a, just give him a line, just give him protection, and he can do it. He can still play. And that's what they sold him on here. You know, they sold him on the play-action game. They sold him on Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly and Braden Smith. And they didn't sell him on this, and, and that's the problem. And I'm not sure how much the shoulder is still bothering him. He's been taking some shots. He's getting hit. He's fumbling the ball. Um, he's not at the stage of his career where he can overcome the flaws that are around him. In a lot of ways, and, and this is not probably a popular opinion, but I remember saying this last year, Carson Wentz covered up for this offensive line in some respects a lot last year. There were a lot of plays that he escaped a lot of pressure because he was such an athlete back there. Now, conversely, I'm totally not going to omit the fact that he held onto the ball too long and he made football harder than it needed to be and all that, and he didn't take the, the layups. Look, I get that. There's, both things can be true. But I thought this line took a big step back last year, and I wasn't ready to call in the lead offensive line late in the season because I watched Las Vegas and Jacksonville. And then you pick up right where you left off this year in Houston and they've given up 43 sacks so far in 11 games. They're on pace to give up 60, like 60 sacks, man. Like two years ago, they gave up 20, 20. Like they were second in the league, and they would have been first if they didn't have a bunch of COVID guys out in that Pittsburgh Steelers game at, um, I want to call it Three Rivers, but it's Heinz Field now. But anyway, that's a long way to say Matt Ryan's not going to get it done when he's getting under pressure all day. The arm isn't what it used to be. And the offensive scheme isn't what it used to be. I mean, they got a first-time play caller in Parks Frazier. He's not going to elevate the offense in some of the ways that Frank Reich might have. But, again, Frank Reich's hands are due to as well because of what they went through the last time we saw them play under him in New England. So it's just, it's just been a mess. And you asked Matt Ryan about it, and he's like, look, everybody has taken their turn being terrible this season. The line, 
you know, these aren't his words, but that's kind of what he's hinting at. The, the quarterback, the line, the running backs fumbles, the receivers, all of it seems to be broken. Now, there are some bright spots. Jelani Woods had a nice night, but he's not the quarterback that's going to lift anyone around him right now, and that's the shame of it because he's been a total pro through what's got to be one of the hardest seasons of his career. Yeah, and, and even the bright spots aren't consistently bright. They will dim, yeah. and then they'll get bright again, and then they'll dim. You know, they kind of dangle that carrot a little bit, and you know, it doesn't turn out the way that you want it. Before I let you go, John Dishower just sent me a tweet and said, regarding Nick Foles, what does it say when he can't make the active roster with a quarterback room the Colts have? And I would respond with this. They haven't wanted him to make the active roster. <laughs> they don't want him out there playing, although I think last night, I've seen enough of Sam Ellinger. I really don't seem to see it anymore. And if we're just playing out the string here, which I think clearly they are, or if they're not, they should be, then, you know, for the sake of not getting, I guess, Matt Ryan any more killed than he has been uh, or out there making bad decisions or besmirching his career, why not play Foles? Would you agree with that? And I'm, I'm not yeah. certain that they will, but would you agree with that? Yes. Why not? Why'd you bring him here? Like, you know, nothing against Matt Ryan, nothing against Sam Ellinger. It's not worked. Neither of them are getting it done. There's nothing, there's nothing left to play for besides respect. And the way they've treated Nick Foles, the way they've kind of just run him around in terms of, well, you're the backup. Well, now you're the other backup to this guy, and now you're the third stringer. Like, yeah. he didn't come here for this. And, and look, like, no. Nick Foles didn't have a terrible preseason. And um, at this point, like, me trying to justify the Colts' decision-making at quarterback is, is just like, it's like there's no way it's a waste of time because none of it makes sense none of it's consistent and none of it's logical so at this point like i'm with you man like why not give nick Foles a run who cares like you know you've trashed him all year in terms of like not really being honest about where he is on this team and where he's on the depth chart so give him a shot i mean the dude's bitten his lip he surely has opinions on how this was handled he came there to play for frank Wright. give him a shot it can't get much worse yeah be interesting to see how this locker room holds together, splinters or otherwise, here in the approaching final month of the season. No doubt about that. Zach Kiefer, The Athletic, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Uh, sifting through the rubble of last night and where we are right now. I always appreciate that. Zach, get a little bit of rest, and I'm sure we'll do it again soon, buddy. Thank you. Let's do it. Thanks, man. Yeah, Zach Kiefer, The Athletic, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Um, I'm not on gym with this. Uh, Jim tweeted me and said, hey, Colts fans screaming for Ballard's head need to ask, did you scream for Bill Polian's head when he went 2-14 and 14 in 2011? Um, maybe the fans didn't, but people that wanted to get Bill Polian when he had that season, when they had that season, got him. And, and here's, here's the standpoint, right? When you are personality-wise like that, you along the way – as Bill Polian was, incredibly successful. I mean, a Hall of Fame general manager, you know, and brought a Super Bowl title here in Super Bowl 41. Two Super Bowl appearances, one title. And I, I guess kind of the way to put it here is that when you make an omelet, you're obviously going to break some eggs. And Bill Polian did that. Bill Polian made some enemies. And when Bill Polian had a bad season, when you had the Peyton Manning neck issue, when he goes to Jim Ursa and says, hey, give me $4 million or whatever, and I'll get Kerry Collins here, and this is going to bridge the gap, we'll still be a playoff team. And clearly, that didn't happen. 
and left himself along with the fact that he wanted his son to run the organization, which the Colts wanted no part of. You leave yourself wide open, and you're going to take everybody's best shot that ever felt as if you kind of looked and talked and, you know, maybe you were a butthole to them. They're going to take their swings, and that's exactly what happened. So it wasn't so much the fan base here in that season, in that two-win season, as it was people with the decision-making where the team was going because you were going to basically cut an era off and move forward, and because they also didn't want to have Chris Poley in run of this organization, that's where the time came to make that decision. But please never, ever compare Chris Ballard's credentials to that of Bill Polian. That doesn't work. And I know that Bill Polian had Peyton Manning, whatever. But, sorry, he's on the board with results, as I just explained, as a Hall of Fame general manager. The two are not on any level comparable here. We're talking about something completely different after six years. We'll come back. More of your calls at 239-1070 if you so desire. We're at the Ale Emporium. We're in Fishers, just off of Geist here with the Indy 11. USA going on to the knockout round. A 1-0 win over Ron earlier today. They get Netherlands at 10 a.m., coming up on Saturday morning. That is the round of 16 knockout round coming at you. We get you there with the Indy 11. Thank you very much for having us here. We'll come back with your calls and a lot more. 93.5107.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. I don't understand the words you just said. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Isaiah Rogers is going to bring this out from about 8 yards out. 20, 25, 30, 40, down the far sideline, 50. It's a foot race now, 40, 30, cuts back, 25 at the 20-yard line, tripped up, and then dances it all the way to the Pittsburgh 18-yard line. Isaiah Rogers, no, that's Dallas Flowers. How about that? Dallas Flowers on the kickoff return, taking over the duties for Isaiah Rogers, the rookie at a Pittsburgh State. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts right there. A shout-out to Dallas Flowers for giving us anything to lean on last night. He kind of started everything in the third quarter. The reason why the Colts had one good quarter last night was all started with what Dallas Flowers did. So shout-out to Dallas Flowers on that because without that return, who knows what that third quarter, who knows what the rest of the night may have looked like and what it was, a win for the Steelers. And we haven't really talked about this very much because, one, I expected it. You've got a rabid fan base, and you knew that the sports arousal for the local fan base regarding the Colts, um, how should I explain this, Kyle? Should I put it that was soft at best? <laughs> you knew it was going to be soft so that is a bad combination. What do they call it? The perfect storm. Listen, Steeler fans were going to invade this joint anyway. It just made it a lot easier last night because I'm sure a lot of Colts fans said, eh, you know what, I've seen enough. But it was odd. You listen to that on the radio. Do you have any? We probably don't. Do you have any Steeler plays over the radio, Kyle, that you can play and hear the background noise? Because you couldn't tell. You couldn't tell. Normally, you can tell. 
if there's a lot of cheering going on and you know that the Colts are playing at home, you're thinking, hey, the Colts just had a really nice play. Something really good happened. Last night was the first time in a while where on the radio you could not tell. You couldn't tell if it was a good thing for the Colts or a good thing for the Steelers. That's how loud that they were last night in there. And they said 35%, I don't know, 35%, whatever, of Steeler fans in there. But as always, they were impressive, and it was impressive last night. Kyle, do you have any Steeler highlights? Or I shouldn't say, have any Steeler plays? Or maybe we could catch the background at all? I'll try to find one here. I, there was one, uh, I think it was, what, Friar Muth had a big catch, and you could really hear Oh, well, I mean, they fans. do the same thing. Yeah, they do the same thing like they did with Heath Miller. You know, and then they do, moo, like it was loud in there last night. But, again, it was kind of like the end of the game. Like, there's no doubt, and he basically owned up to it earlier today. Jeff Saturday said, I should have called the timeout. He's going to approach the team tomorrow and tell them the same thing. Um, because not because I felt that they were going to win the game by any offensive output down the stretch. I just felt that with that team and the way that it looked specifically on that third down, you need to try to call it and settle it down. Now, let's see if we can tell, or just maybe in your mind, let's see if we can tell if this is a home crowd at Lucas Oil Stadium or a crowd at wherever the hell is it, Rusted Root, Marijuana Binge Stadium now, I think, in Pittsburgh. Donnie Irish Stadium, whatever it is right now. See if you can tell if this is Indy or Pittsburgh. 17-16, Kenny Pickett. Shotgun snap, backs to throw, looking left. Fires in the far flat. It's complete, and the catch is made by Fryermuth. Tiptoeing the sideline. Fryermuth down to the three-yard line, and he picks up 17. And it's now going to bring up first and goal inside the five for the tight end out of Penn State. That is Matt Taylor on the call right there. Am I just making too much out of it? That sounded really, really loud for being a Lucas Oil Stadium, Kyle, last night. You agree? Yeah, I think before the broadcast, they had some sort of stat from a third-party ticket company that it was like 40% of the tickets were Steelers yeah. fans. Yeah. I don't know if it I was that, I that, but, too. I mean, they were definitely louder than Colts fans because, they, I mean, they had a lot more to cheer for. Yeah, and, and they're going to bring it anyway. I mean, that, that, is, that is one of the fan bases here. If you talk about the Packers and the Cowboys, and then you got the Steelers all in there somewhere, and you knew that they were going to be there regardless of the record. They're a three-win team, but they're still going to show out. And they're also, because you go all the way back to the 70s, and there was no football team here. I'm not making excuses because this football team stinks so bad, I know people have checked out. But at the same time, you go all the way back with Pittsburgh and you know, Chuck Knoll and Terry Bradshaw and Mean Joe Green and Lynn Swan, John Stallworth, Donnie Shell, Elsie Greenwood, that group. And a lot of people grew up as Steeler fans. And a lot of people grew up as Steeler fans because their parents were Steeler fans, because their grandparents were Steeler fans. And that's held true to where we are today. So wherever they go, you're going to find a large pocket of Steeler fans really anywhere in any NFL market. But that stood out to me last night as being incredibly loud, and it was on that Friar Muth catch um, last night as you heard at Lucas Oil Stadium. Colts lose 
They are now 4-7-1 and one on the season, and we were talking about the remainder of the season, what to expect, and off-season changes. We hit on that as well. Now, somebody had said earlier, hey, this doom and gloom, I'm tired of it. That's why I started and put in a lot of what took place with the Pacers last night. I'll tell you what, we'll take a break and come back again. Kyle, have that highlight locked and loaded because I know a lot of you didn't stay up, and I stay up because I'm strange. Listen, I was lucky last night. Because you go from a really bad football game to a great basketball game ending. And then I was switching around, and there was some nudity on last night, too. So, really, two out of three is not bad for me last night. I got a great pacer ending. I got some nudity. And then that goes along with that disappointment that was the Colts on Monday Night Football. We'll come back with how this pacer game ended. That is the second of seven on the road tomorrow night in Sacramento. But how this pacer game ended was spectacular even beyond the rookie game winner. We'll do that coming up on the other side. AL Emporium, we are in Fishers, 116 in Oleo. I do need to give a shout-out before I hit this final break as well. Somebody wanted me to give a shout-out. Tell Todd, Todd the bartender, tell Todd the bartender you want some Todd and Naki wings. So that's a shout-out to Todd the bartender. I'm supposed to ask for the Todd and Naki wings. I don't want to know. Do I want to know what that entails? I know if it was like JMV and Naki wings, I know you wouldn't want to eat it. I'm just curious. Do I? Because I'm going to get something on the way home, and I want to make sure this is the Todd and Naki wings are legit. I don't know if you like add some like whiskey or something on them. Whatever. We'll try that. I want to give a shout out to Todd, the bartender, from a listener, Jody Conrad coming up before we end this show. Quick break, and we'll come back for a final time. Tomorrow back in studio, Larceny Bourbon Locks, Luna Azul Tequila Shots Thursday. Me and our betting analyst, Brent Halverson, back at Parks Place in Fishers once again on Thursday. 93.5107, Five the Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. I am in the parking lot right now hammering a bacon, egg, and chi, hold the chi in preparation to go deep with four hits and put on a laser show to the likes of which you have never witnessed in your entire life. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Miles Turner. Three. Gamer. Gamer. Oh, Miles. Oh. Rebound. Halliburton. Hold on. He held on it too long. Nemhard away. Got it, baby. Got it. The rookie Alexander <laughs> yeah. hits a three at the right buzzer to win the game. Oh, that's Andrew Nemar with a game winner last night. If you didn't stay up for it, Pacers down 17 in the fourth. Hung in there and hung in there. And then gave themselves an opportunity. Andrew Nemar, the rookie from Gonzaga, point four was his release at point four. In the air, horn goes off, knocks down that three. And the Pacers get the win, 116-115 over the Lakers. And again, go back and watch just the majestic pass, just the majestic decision-making in the moment of Tyrese Halliburton. You know, where to put that ball. And and he actually, it's worthy of watching this again. He was interviewed by J.J. after the game. 
and he kind of went over the decisions he was making in you know that split second right there where he ended up getting the ball to, to uh, Andrew Nemhart and getting that three. I was sitting there as a guy that supports Miles Turner because Miles had missed it. You could tell on that three that Miles was not confident. He just knew because he was wide open he had to take it. And that thing fell short to the right. I was just saying, please don't pass it to 33 again because I don't know if I could take my Twitter account if Miles misses two game winners down the stretch there. But now it was Nimhart with the game winner. Pacers win off to Sacramento they are right now. Hey, shout out to Todd and the gang here. At Ale Emporium, 116 in Oleo. This is a great spot. I'm going to get some carry out in a second, but it was great to see you. And thank you to the Indy 11 for having us up here. Devin, great job on the engineering. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live, fantastic. Ben Brown, PFF. Zach Kiefer of the Athletic, as well as Kristen Neri of Valley Sports, Indiana. Kyle, great job. Great to have you back for the first time in forever. I'm back in studio coming up tomorrow with more chances for you to go to that Bullseye Event Center party on Saturday as well. Have a great night. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 3.